Welcome back to This Is Hardcore Podcast. I'm Joe Hardcore. Really excited that we got the 10 episodes so far. We're going to be talking to Phil Irate in a little bit. For those of you who listened to episode 6 with Kevin Castle, you heard plenty of stories about Phil and Irate. And we're going to get into a lot more with him beyond Irate and... I know it's going to be two plus hours, as I say on all these. You know, I don't care if you do it in 25 minute clips. Phil is so eloquent and chill that it, it, the time flies by. And I've listened to these things like two or three times in the editing. So I can tell you that this is probably one of the most easygoing and great conversations I've had so far. Before I go any further into Phil and his story, I'd like to touch on Hammer of Chaos, our intro brought to you by MH Chaos. A little band from Chicago, which now I can say will be releasing music on Fast Break and From Within. They're going to be putting tracks together for a release that will come out on vinyl on From Within. And then there will be like everything else all on the one CD as well. So the CD will have all the vinyl music plus a couple extras. And that will be out on uh, Fast Break. Very excited about that. Really excited that we're working with a young band that has a lot of the spirit and fire of a lot of these old bands we've been talking about. If you listened to last week's episode, you would have heard me talking with Anthony Moreshi about Don't Stand in Line, which is a docu-series that he self-funded and is having up on pre-order right now. You can go to codecprojects.com, also C-O-D-E-C projects on the Instagram Essentially what he did was he self-funded a video zine docu-series type thing. Kind of looks like it's Netflix where you're getting four separate episodes covering people that we've actually had on the podcast and a few others. And he is a war-winning director and put a lot of his own time and money into this. It's a pre-order. It'll come out November 20th with the download. So... He'll be on our show that same night talking about it. And I hope that in the spirit of supporting hardcore people trying new endeavors, that some of you would go out and check it out. I really appreciate people reaching out and telling me what they think about the episodes, whether it's talking about Jay Brooks and the Knights Hall and the awesome sword fighting, or if it's people telling me how they feel about Jamie Morgan and Code Orange. Big shout-outs to Jamie, who pulled off an insane live stream event with his amazing band Code Orange. He was featured on episode 8. Check that out. Also shout outs to Year of the Knife, Maddie, who was on episode 4. And Jesus Peace, who hopefully will be on a future episode. It's really cool to see hardcore people pushing forward through all this COVID stuff and coming up with insanely innovative ideas and having the steadfast resolve to see it through. Big shout out to Sonny from Hey 56 who was on episode two for being the lead videographer in that. I really think that code is just on another planet right now and like the Elon Musk of things, just raising the bar for everybody and just showing people what can happen if you go all in on a project. Circling back to our guest tonight, Phil Vasquez, 
also known as Phil Vibes, from Irate, Judas Syndrome, and now his new band, The Knights of the Black. What a fucking name, man. That's actually to stand out and awesome. This conversation really was a treat for me. He's such a chill, laid-back person, and you can just feel the dedication and just true reverence for not only hardcore, but for metal. And I won't talk too much more about it. I just wanted to say that this is an episode, whether you chop it up in one time or you do it in ten, it's worth listening to. Phil is chill as fuck and quite insightful, and it was just a blessing to have him on the show. And I'll let him speak for himself. Thank you. Today we're talking to Phil Vibes. If you don't know who he is, he has been one of the people in New York hardcore that I think that I met who was like, I would say probably one of them front men that you wouldn't even know he's the guy in the band because you think of like the band themselves. You're like, is that the guy in the band? He's running around. He's kicking people. He's singing for everybody. He's very polite, very supportive. And then he gets on stage and you hear his insanely demonic voice and the entire shows that I got to see as I write were some of the most violent and just exciting too, which I know people think sometimes is crazy to think of violence and exciting. And yet he continued on with uh, the Judas syndrome, I believe. And then he's got a new band. He's going to talk about, and, and it's just great to have him on the show tonight. So thank you, Phil, for coming on. Uh, Joe, first of all, thank you for that incredible introduction. Uh, it is my honor to be here with you this evening. Uh, you and I go back a uh, very long time, uh, back to the punishment days, uh, a lot of history uh, between you and I, and not enough history, uh, unfortunately, because, you know, we were never, we were hardly, uh, I would say, you know, we were hardly together back in those days. Uh, but when we crossed paths, it was all love. It was great. Uh, and we had a lot of fun and that's continued on, you know, in recent years when I've seen you at This Is Hardcore, which is an amazing event always. You guys do a tremendous job with, with the fest, man. So impressive. Uh, the love that I get when I get, when I get out there just from everyone is unreal. And uh, yeah, man, just glad to be here with you today, man, and catch up. No, man, I really appreciate that. And like I tell everybody who... You especially, but in general, there's always people that have a deep connection with hardcore and then they see the fast and I'm always like, yo, just come down, just see it, be a part of it because, and this goes from like Mike judge when he was talking about doing this hardcore and I'm like, dude, you're going to come down with your wife a year after this and a year after this, and you're going to hang out. And like, um, you know, we had Corey from God forbid hit me up. Yo, yo, I just want to come down and see it. I feel like, as time moves on from what we used to be an every weekend thing for all of us, something like a, this is hardcore can inject so much positivity and so much excitement and so many good memories, even when there was awkward shit and different things that would happen that might, or just growing up that may have taken us out of that focus. Yeah. It's good that it's good to have that. This is hardcore weekend or anything like that to bring people back. Like, Oh fuck. This is why I spent all this time doing it. For sure, man. I mean, it's always like high school all, all over again, like just seeing everybody, uh, you know, sharing the stories of yesteryear and even current events and all that. Um, and just catching up and loving your friends who, 
you know, as we get older, it's, you were not always able to be together like we were back then, uh, which was like every week, you know, um, but it's always good to see everybody. And, you know, these kinds of fests, uh, especially the trifecta, as I call them, the uh, This Is Hardcore, the BMB, which is the granddaddy of them all, uh, and, um, you know, Tsunami, um, you know, they, they always are all-inclusive. They're wonderful. They're, they're just the best time. And you can bring a new generation of fans and bring in new bands that are going to carry the torch forward and just have a, a, a coming together of, of generations. No, that was, that's the exact point of what I was trying to get to when we started doing it. Now, I know that um, for non, non-New Yorkers, we always would just go, oh, they're from New York. But you guys were from the Bronx. Yes. And one so of the, one of the few. <laughs> I, how, how does um, now? Obviously, you know, there's the Boogie Down Productions, you know, there's all this like hip hop and stuff. And I know some bands from the Bronx, but you, you your band became active somewhere like 95, 96. But how, where did you interact with hardcore for the first time? And how was it being a person from the Bronx finding hardcore? Well, you know, uh, coming up in high school, I was huge metalhead, you know, and I had my circle of friends there. But, you know, in the middle of high school, I started branching out more to other scenes, you know, like uh, everything from death metal to hardcore to everything in between and just, you know, checking everything out. And, uh, you know, I came across some great local talent. Um you know, the kids I went to high school with or, you know, just knew from other circles in high school and things like that. And we would go support each other's bands and things like that. And so, you know, there was one show I went to. Uh, my first hardcore show was a local show in the Bronx. And it was like the first version of District 9, which was Close Call. Um, this band Without a Cause, which was also a Bronx band back then. Did they become Fahrenheit? Was that without a cause became Fahrenheit? Members of that band, yes, went on okay. to, to create and do Fahrenheit. Uh, but this was even before Fahrenheit. Um, and, you know, just some local bands. And I was just kind of blown away by the energy, by, by the sing-alongs, by a different way of dancing from, you know, how metalheads and thrash kids used to do it. And it's just like it had such an urban feel to it. And as a Bronx kid from the hood, man, this is just like the perfect calling for me, you know, as far as uh, becoming part of that community. I just it just really resonated. I always maintain, you know, that I'm metalhead forever. But like hardcore has a big uh, place in my heart. And it started back then in the early 90s. Now you and I came up the same exact way. I was a yeah. long hair kid yeah. and um, obsessed with thrash metal, which later turned into death metal. And yeah. the first uh, all, all ages, the first all ages shows that I was going to for the most part were uh, smaller death metal shows or the big club metal mm-hmm. shows. And, and but I, I also grew up in the hood and was only able to go to these concerts at a young age because of the atmosphere of my around our house my mom was like go get the fuck out of here go down there get away from this and so when i saw sick of it all biohazard 
and Sheer Terror is my first like big hardcore show. Yeah. And like you said, there was like this violence and this chaos, but I was gravitated towards it immediately because I'm like, this is not a fucking metal show, but it's pretty fucking crazy, you know? But I mean, it, it, it I feel like an entire generation or so of hardcore people came directly from more of the thrash and metal. And so it was kind of interesting. And I wanted to get your perspective on this, like how you can kind of transcend and listen to some of the stuff. And then did you ever pick up on the earliest stuff that came out from hardcore? It was always hard as a metalhead because like the difference between, let's say a New York cargo record or like a bad beans record that came out in 1982 versus a thrash record that came out in 1982. For me, it's always been hard to pick up on some of the oldest hardcore stuff because at that, you know, like if you put a metal record from that same time up, it blows it out of the water. Did you have that same problem or did you? I, I mean, yes, to a degree, I, I would assume because, you know, when you're a metalhead, you're really into the uh, complexities of the riffs and the solos and all the crazy stuff going on there. And, you know, like hardcore or the purest form of hardcore was kind of like, uh, you know, it had some similar roots as, as far as speed and aggression and pissed off. Uh, but musically, it was a different approach. Uh, and, um, you know, I guess going into it, there was some like, oh, well, this is different, but not really for me that much. Like, I appreciated it for what it was. And I came in the era of more like mad ball, you know, bulldoze you know you know shut down and all these different kinds of hardcore bands uh that were a big melting pot in new york city especially uh and i i got a vast array of the different forms of hardcore and i just gravitated to all of them you know i gave them all a fair shot you know even if i was hesitant at first because i didn't i wasn't familiar with it or didn't know it you know and didn't want to get out of my bubble for for whatever reason at the time but I, I very quickly i got over that and gave other things a shot in high school and, and i'm glad i did because you know it, you know you have to have an open mind you know and even today like i don't disband man i don't just i'm not into that you know if you're if you're really into what you're doing and you're working hard you know props to you even if i don't uh particularly listen to your to your style of music or whatever you know what you said is um, resonates very easily. It's uh, the getting out of the bubble. And um, yeah, I, I think for me specifically, I, I those first couple bands, and you brought up Mabel as a great example. I see Mabel in one of the smallest clubs that I ever saw a show at. And at that time period, I still had pretty long hair and didn't have a lot of cool hardcore shirts. But at that, t- at that time, if you saw Mabel in 1994, there's yeah. no way there's no way you're not going to be blown away. And, and that I think, yeah. I think that bridged so much stuff that I was confused about as a young metalhead, just by seeing the raw energy of that band. As soon as you see something like that, you're immediately hooked. How could you not be, you know, that's an energy that is pretty hard to duplicate. Um, it, it's just that level of awesome. And, you know, I, I remember seeing my first Mad Ball show and I was just like at Coney Island High way back in the day. It had to be like 94 at least. 
and just being like, holy shit, I was not prepared for this, you know. And the same thing, you know, even with local bands, you know, like District 9, Close Call, whatever you want to call them back then. Um, you know, just like this raw energy that uh, just grabbed you right away. Now, as you, a... You wanted to be part of it. You wanted to be violent. You wanted to hurt your friends, uh, you know, and, and, and all that. But in the name of fun. And, and I was all about it, man. No, that's that exactly how I felt at that time period, especially thinking about it. You just were so excited and the shows grabbed you. There wasn't, there wasn't that time where you would sit back and go, I don't want to participate because some of the shows were so small and packed in and, yeah. and the, the chaos factor just drew me in. Now, as a, as you got more involved with the supporting of the local bands, and you went down the Coney Island. Was that something that you knew because you were interacting with the bands and someone told you, yo, there are shows down in Manhattan? Like, how did you know about shows beyond the Bronx that early on? At that point, you know, a lot of word of mouth. And you always wanted to go to Seabees, right? And if you were Seabees, you were a five-minute walk from Coney Island High. You were a 10-minute walk from Wetlands. Like, all those clubs were, weren't far apart. And, you know, we're down in the lower part of Manhattan. Um, so we, you know, and they did all kinds of shows at these places. You know, CB's had, would do death metal. They would do hair metal. They would do hardcore, you know, everything in between. Um, same to kind of deal with Coney Island High and, and Wetlands, too. That they, were, they were very open uh, to doing all kinds of, of heavy music because you're so deep into metal and I know that it's obviously something at that time that I was still really, really like constant showgoer of how did you feel when you started seeing the actual beginning of like the, the, the meshing of the two scenes? Like for me, I remember seeing internal bleeding and suffocation down here with some locals. And I remember seeing some shorter hair guys not doing the metal mosh. And I was actually pretty intrigued because I mean, I'd seen some of that shows and some of the other stuff, but I was actually like, Oh shit, they're going to try this here. Did it, was that something that was happening in New York or was New York more split at that was, was more solid metal at that time. It started to, to, to mesh in the early nineties. Absolutely. Um, like you take bands like Candiria, first Candiria stuff, then back to, even back to their demo. It was very like super death metal-y, you know, borderline satanic, you know. Uh, but it had that street edge to it too. And it had, you know, Carly used to come out in, in baggy clothes, totally hip hopped out, you know. Um, and, and that was not something you saw in, in the scene back then. And it was just a breath of fresh air. But a lot of bands like All Out War and Dark Side and, um, you know, confusion, uh, going back to the early 90s, you know, so many bands back then just like started to incorporate that sound and mesh them together. That kind of, you know, and then you had even Biohazard, you know, um, kind of mixing a little bit of the metal into their stuff. And when they blew up, you know, it just, it was good for hardcore and it was good for metal because metal, the metal scene got a taste of what hardcore was about. You know, that's actually a really good example of what 
I think I started seeing in Philadelphia where you saw the exposure of biohazard to a metal crowd, which then yeah. you'd seen the same people would start coming to the sick of it all shows. That's and, right. and um, I got really early on into fanzines and because through fanzines and thanks lists, I really got really into the entire explosion of what New York brought as far as like the metal core death core, you call it. And you, and you brought up the, 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 the trifecta there, you know, uh, Dark side, dark side, all at war, um, Marauder, Confusion, still one of my favorite. Yeah, we, were just about, we, were, we were just talking about Confusion today, in fact. And it's like something that like it spawned at a perfect time that I think it gravitated towards young metalheads and it actually unintentionally created an entire generation like yourselves. So you are just a show goer at this time. When did you start linking up with the rest of the guys like Nando and them to start thinking about doing this band? Fernando and I are uh, childhood friends pretty much, um, you know, or brothers. Um, he went to uh, junior high and high school with me. Um, so I know him most of my life. Uh, and we've gone through this journey together. Um, and then Nick Irate and UV Ray's uh Nando started jamming with them at some point in high school or towards the end of high school. And uh, you know, he, you know, Nando and I had had a band prior to that, you know, it didn't go anywhere or anything, but we used to jam a lot. And and he said, you know, I've been jamming with these guys, uh Nick and, and Yuval. Um and they're they're pretty they got some fucking awesome shit going on um so come check this out and we'd like you to try out and i did and the rest is history as far as that how was how was high school for you two and all your and like your group of friends did you did you start seeing people react differently from when you were a metal to a hardcore kid or were you still like straight metal in high school like what were you like in high school and how was uh your interaction with the rest of the population in high school, I, I, I wore the metal uniform for sure. You know, I had um, the, the MC, the, the art the painted up with all kinds of crazy stuff. You know, I was rocking my metal tees, the boots. And, you know, to be a metalhead back then in the Bronx, it took, you know, took some guts, right? Um, you know, but we would, we would always have this little community and we were funny. Like we did well in high school because like we were funny and like, we were like class clowns and shit. And, and, you know, people just like were cool with us, but like I went to more than one high school and, you know, in, in the other high schools all in the Bronx, uh, they were all, you know, we, we were outcasts. We were, and we, we just had kind of like each other to, to kind of hang out with, you know, um, and, you know, it wasn't like beef or anything like that. They just like, they weren't coming up to you to hang out with, you know what I'm saying? Like everybody yeah. kind of stuck to themselves and all of that. And, and, and that's the way it was. Now that's, a, that's a lot of how our high school was, mm -hmm. you know, especially for me, I'm a long hair and I don't, I, I was, I, I was able to play soccer. So I had a couple people that I knew and, but we didn't have a large group. And so we gravitated more to like our neighborhood friends and high school was not uh, a social place. It was a get in, get the fuck out. Um, but I had to ask you, cause obviously 
come I, I, I picture you guys as like straight up metalheads in the Bronx. It's gotta be a wild situation of high school. It's a wild situation, especially when you would walk down we would walk down as a little, you know, a little crew and, and there was a few of us, but we would go through some some rough neighborhoods. But we're Bronx at the same time, like so it was mostly all good all the time, you know. It's like we come we we came from the same streets here on, you know what I'm saying? So like if you fuck with us, we're we're gonna we're going to go for it, you know? Um, but it, it wasn't even like that most times, you know, but you, you definitely have it in the back of your head. Like, damn, I'm not in my neighborhood and I'm a metalhead and I stick out like a source on me. And that's great. You know, I love that. I love going to different hoods and, and just kind of getting the weird looks, especially when you're wearing death metal shirts and it's like extreme art on there. And they're like, what the fuck is wrong with this guy? Um, that was cool back then, man. Yeah, we People are the- way more understanding today and open to that than they were back then. Like your, your average person is way better about that. Like, and even in high school, like, you know, my son who grew up to be a pretty good a musician and is my current bandmate in a new project. Um, you know, when he played the talent shows and, and he meddled out and he had long hair and rocked the same leather jacket I had in high school he he rocked it in high school um and uh, they were all about it they cheered him he was like pretty popular because of that but back then if we would have done that we would have got booed off the stage and uh yeah it's different different era for sure no, that's exactly right i feel like Every one of us had to go through a little bit more grueling and then the kids this generation had it so much better with that. They do. They do. And good on them. You know, yeah, no, God bless them. I, thank yeah. God. I don't want them to have to go through what some of that. Yeah. Was. Why man? Like we just had it way, you know, but, but that's who, that's what helped shape who we became. And, and I'm all good with that, man. All good with that. Now, were you going to castle before you guys played there and were you guys um, thinking about playing uh, Castle first, or was Irate's first shows all in the Bronx? Irate's first show ever was at Castle Heights, but I had never been there prior to that September 1996 day. Um, and it's weird how that became our headquarters pretty much for, for quite a few years. And, you know, that place is definitely a big reason why we, you know, have the name that, that or, or the legend that it became uh, all these years later. So we owe a lot to that, to the staff, to Kevin, to Frank and Uncle Louie and John the Doorman and the whole crew there, you know, and all us band people that worked there at times, you know, I would, I would bounce there every once in a while, you know, a little extra cash back then. Um, you know, because we were just family and we would just chip in to help out, you know. Uh, you know, we weren't getting paid, you know, a whole bunch of money. We did it because, you know, we, we cared about the spot. And we wanted to keep it going, but we also wanted to keep it safe. As uh, safe as you can when you have, uh, you know, this kind of music and the, uh, the energy and the violence that it brings. No, I think that a lot of people look at castle heights and I, and even we just posted the episode with kevin yeah, and heard that. i see a, i see a lot of people say castle fights and it's not disparaging because obviously those things happen but i feel 
the modern day focus on a small nuance of what would happen at every fucking show in every fucking part of hardcore got really lopped onto that specific venue. And from Kevin's story and obviously what you just said, the community was forged at these shows. You know, these are the people that we took care of, you know, like, like you said, in passing, we knew each (laughs) other and we stayed good because you share that bond of being involved in this very small scene in this very large world. And I've always been aggravated by the way that somebody from the internet specifically can use, Oh, well this happened. So it can't be good. And it's like so much great came from the fact that all of us were in these fucking bands that made everybody go kick each other in the fucking face weekend and weekend and weekend after itself. And, um, when I, I bring there up those, Ca- yeah, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, no, say I bring up Castle Heights, obviously, as you said, because it kind of became the home base, but also because of, again, not being from New York. How far, like, I think of everything because I think of like the traffic I sit in New York. The Bronx is not that close to Queens enough to be like that's your hometown room, correct? I mean, it's not super duper far, but it's not close at all, um, especially like from you know, the neighborhood I was in back then to uh, the doors of castle. That was a nice hike. That was a nice hike. And before we had a van, you know, you'd have to get there on your own. And and I used to just go uh, to like every show there. So if we weren't playing, I still had to trek it out there. So it's a nice trip. It's definitely a nice trip. And you're getting it home at like five in the morning. Um, But it was always worth it, man. It was, man, because, you know, I feel like it it was a a wonderful community to be part of and everyone gave a shit about each other. And I'm not going to say it was all clean. You know, there was definitely fights in the room and it it, it got, you know, there were situations. But for the most part, it was just really violent dancing. No, and, fun, exactly. <laughs> and fun and fun and and you know no egos you know like there were some really great bands that came out of that room and bands that became legendary and you know i'm happy to say that you know i i still consider all, everyone out there brothers and sisters you know well i think of that room specifically when you get like you know, for us, it was a it was a long drive with traffic. We get in there, and you get to that back room, and I think anyone beyond a hardcore band would go to that back room, and be like this is it. But for us, we're like this is so fucking cool, because yeah. at the same time, a lot of our shows in our local area were in a um, basically a like a um, warehouse, and it was like a DIY venue. So like you guys had like this bar, you know, you guys had like a, a street light that had said like, Hey, this is where the place is where our shows really weren't like that in Philadelphia where punishment we get to play. And what I noticed as a band that was really interesting is that it didn't matter who came through people like yourselves and the gallows. So many faces from castle, like you said, were there at all the shows it didn't matter if their bands weren't playing, you still played for all the castle Heights. And I, that is not something aside from maybe the New Jersey pipeline days. And um, towards the end of the CC's 
It didn't matter who played when the shows were getting really good. There's very few places that I can like call off hands where the room was full of the bands that made up the people that were on the stages. And I, as a huge, as a huge tenant of hardcore, of the bands being the kids in the crowd and vice versa, I really felt that that thing that you guys did at Castle was special because that's how everybody got to network and that's how we got to know each other, you know. And I actually had met a lot of Castle people in Long Island going to shows or uh, going down to the wetlands or Coney or them guys coming to the pipeline or those guys going to the MMM hall in New Jersey, or like, I, I believe you guys came down for, uh, you guys played an old bridge with E-Town one time or something. And you know, everybody, it linked oh, in Birch Hill. Yeah. The Birch Hill. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. We did. And then, so everybody linked up at these other rooms. And so by the time we would get to a castle show, it was all love. And that's a, something yeah. that people, that's the thing that people forget about is that, it, can't, it couldn't be this like, oh, as soon as the show started, everybody broke out with two swords and killed each other. It was like, no, man, like we knew each other from other places in not just Castle Heights, but like, you know, we would come up Jersey guys, Long Island guys, Philly guys, Baltimore guys all interacted. It just happened to be in that small room at Castle Heights it was like a meat grinder. <laughs> you know, like that's where I was like, all right, this is where it's all coming out. It was. It was like, you know, it was a dojo. Oh yeah, that's what I heard. I remember that term, the dojo. That's right. It it was a dojo, and and you know you 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 paid your dues when you were in there. But like, you know, I, I don't look at that as a negative. You know, everybody was just having fun. Um, you know, the occasional fight happened or other things, uh, no question about it. But that happens anywhere and everywhere. Uh, there's no control over that. But, you know, uh, when you're playing aggressive music, where it, whether it's metal, hardcore, death metal, I mean, it's just going to bring out, you know, crazy stuff. <laughs> and so, and, you know, sometimes if you mix crowds, you know, they're not familiar with each other and things happen. But, like, for, for the most part, everyone got along over there. And whatever beefs there were were minimal uh, like true 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 blue beefs that's that just didn't happen you know people got over whatever uh, things they had with each other quick there or you know if you hit me or, or if something happened you know it, it's just it was solved quickly and we did a good job of policing each other you know as no, much as, as you can i agree wholeheartedly on that i feel like that's why John the doorman, you know, he, he didn't have the hardest job because so many people knew each other and so many people looked out. If someone happened, it was it was small and minor. And that goes to quite a few places. Now, with Irate starting to build a name, where were the first places beyond New York that you were traveling to? So, you know, like when we started to branch out, we'd go to uh, Middletown a lot. Uh, there was a place there called the Eclipse. And, you know, we'd link up with All Out War there and the bands up there at the time, like 99 Cents and Beneath the Remains and, you know, uh, Eye to Eye. You know, I love Eye to Eye. There. Yeah, man. Yeah, man. Fucking great guys, man. And, you know, they opened their arms to us and we started playing up there. And then, you know, then Albany, you know, we started playing for Ted Etall. I'm sure you know Ted. Yep. Um, you know, a wonderful human being that really gave us a shot up there. Like he, 
booked us in all the rooms, you know, Saratoga winners and, um, you know, like QE2. Is it, was it the yeah. QE2? Yeah. QE2. And, and, you know, my, probably my all time favorite. And it was just because it was the first room that really opened themselves to us up in the Albany area was Valentine's. Oh shit. Um, yeah, that was, that was our home away from home and Saratoga winners as well. Uh, QE2, we, we, we only played once and it was a great show and everything, but like we played multiple shows at, at the other two venues and, and they really just, uh, it, it, it was awesome, man. The people up there were great and really receptive to what we were doing. We made a lot of friends up there and, you know, tro- uh, show trading and all kinds of stuff that, that Kevin was doing back then and, and helping us out as well. Kevin Castle. Um, yeah, it was, that's how it started. And then it just, just kind of branched out from there. I remember the first time we heard the demo was like all things you're in a car ride and someone's like, yo, check this out. It's like, like, you know, like whoever played the new demo was like the fucking man, like, yo, check this out. And we wow. were mind, we were mind blown. We were like, what the fuck? And then they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. From Queens. You know, and we were like, Oh, from Queens. Okay. You know, but like early on you established a sound that was its own and, and, and definitely touched on, you know, like obviously the, the, common denominators that would you know link you with hard heavy bands but you guys were more metallic yeah and you and you feel i feel looking at this when you say like oh albany and like you know middletown those are those are crowds that love the more metallic stuff so it makes sense that you would you would gravitate and yet i find and, and i and i spoke to uh richie crutch who's on another episode that there was almost a weird elitism towards a sound like irate from different areas because it was either too aggressive or too metallic. And there was a pushback against it. Whereas if you listen to whatever earth crisis was record out at that time, it was the same level of metal, you know? And I, and I find, and, and this is what Re and Richie were saying. It was, it was more about us being more like street kids who were in the hard shit. Right. And right, they wouldn't, right. and they wouldn't give these bands a chance. Like I remember Kevin be like, we got to get irate down to Philly. I'm like, punishment has to play out because there's not a band like us here. There's not that many bands around us. We're playing away from home more than home. Did you find that as you found warm uh, greetings that it was still rooms that was hard to get into and places to play because of the vibe and sound that I rate had? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, we weren't for everybody, you know, there was hesitations by, you know, promoters outside of the city or even in the city as well, because we, we, you know, the word uh, spread pretty quickly that our crowd was violent. And that if we, you know, if you, if you book irate, chaos will ensue. And, you know, a lot of promoters were hesitant to that, you know, and then, you know, we were, we were too hardcore for the metal scene. And we were too metal for the hardcore scene. And yet the hardcore scene was more receptive to us because of, you know, the openness about meshing metal with it and, you know, and playing with those kinds of bands like All Out War and and everybody definitely helped, you know, because we had a similar, you know, sound, you know, we were 
not the same kind of band, but we, you know, had the same roots, you know, where we put metal in it, we put hardcore in it, you know, but when you're like, when you look like a hardcore guy, the metal community is not going to take you seriously. I mean, they, especially back then, like there was a separation between scenes, you know, uh, but hardcore opened its uh, arm to us and uh, just made us one of their own. And, and that's, that's, that was a beautiful thing that, that I'm grateful for. And, you know, we made so many friends, man, like bands I never thought I'd play with. And, you know, just like all the friendships, man, I'm so grateful for it all, you know, but that's, that's, yeah. What I liked about that era specifically was, and it's not changed too much, but I think we've gotten into nicer venues at times mm-hmm. where I felt like the, crowd in the front part of the stage was so many of the band people like i remember watching you guys and there was just a wall of band dudes up close by the stage i think now there's a drive to have band guys on the side of the stage in the back and you lose some of that community of like full support because like uh r.i.p to my brother enrique but like you guys are on stage you guys are on stage at the birch hill he's got his face painted like a maniac wrecking people for fucking irate. <laughs> There's the guys from Clubber Lang in the pit, you know, yeah, Joe, who would go into be Shadow Realm and second to none. Them guys like you put on for the bands while they were on the stage and it was reciprocated, you know, maybe not this one, but then obviously they came through and you're going to represent for them. And that's something that, like you see kids now, they don't really use the term represent, but it was like, no, we're gonna we're gonna rep our shit and we're gonna fucking support you because you're in our town. We want you to feel like you want to come back. And I, I I always was uh we had a lot of violence in Philadelphia that really made punishment hard to book in real clubs. In fact, we got it, it, like literally like uh, we use the uh, image from the last big show we played in a club in Philadelphia. It said hardcore show and we all the windows were broken out of like. Yeah. And that happened super early for us. So we had the, we had the, these guys can't play the clubs. Their crowd's fucking nuts. So I did, we had the same problem. And what I found with Irate as I was traveling a lot with Dysphoria and then with Punishment was it was in the craziest places where you'd see Irate shirts early on. You'd see, and you're like, where the fuck did they get these shirts at now? You know, like you guys had this seed that was spreading early on. And this is when you guys just had the demo. You guys didn't even put out the, the first uh, EP or whatever. And people were already catching on. And I mean, we would travel to Erie and we'd see kids from Ohio and Buffalo. And it's like, it's crazy how quick because of what you guys sounded that was different that I think really drove you further. And it's, it's it, to me now looking at it, like, there was no internet like there is now. Like if you guys came out now, you could pre-sale a hundred fucking shirts in a night where it's like, then we'd have to see your shirts on the tour. And like, it was always cool to see a band from, uh, you know, the Bronx represented in the middle of Erie, Pennsylvania, you know? We take great pride in that, man. I mean, you know, we were one of the few out here to, to kind of get that, you know, recognition outside of the borough, uh, not only outside of the borough, but like on a, on a wider plane. And, you know, there were some great ones out here. You know, you talk about District 9, you talk about Fahrenheit 451, you know, dear friends, brothers 
who, you know, kind of set it off for bands like Irate and Billy Club Sandwich uh, that followed uh, a few years later. But, you know, we had a, a deep, rich scene uh, of uh, other bands, you know, like Four in the Chamber and Go to Mentis and Driven by Hatred. Like, so there was definitely stuff going on here, you know, but um, to, to just have that recognition uh, at this point on a global uh, scale is, is humbling to say the least. And we're all really grateful for it. And, you know, I rate just, uh, we resonated with, with kids, you know, we, we were heavy, uh, but we were, you know, we, we spoke about real shit, you know, like human shit the trials and tribulations of growing up out here. And, you know, um, just like we left our hearts out there on paper and, and, and on the instruments and, and, you know, kids just really gravitated to it so much so that there's a generation later, Joe, and they're still wanting this, this music. They're wanting us to reunite, not only the old school, but the new school, they're like, you know, we heard you a year ago or whatever, and we're blown away by it. And, and that's just so humbling, Joe. I mean, recently, after 14 years of being broken up, we decided, you know, let's pay the fans back, man. Because, you know, I get emails all the time, like every day, you know, it's, it's someone somewhere just like thanking me for the music and, you know, appreciating um what it's meant to them all these years and, and when you hear that you know 14 years later on a regular basis it's it's a blessing man so we decided to come out with some vintage shirts we partnered up with cold cuts merch um you know and in my mind i was like you know we'll sell a few shirts and that'll be that but joe i mean it just was through the roof um and we got the call back from um, John and Cold Cuts and he was like, man, wow. <laughs> I was, you know, I know the band and everything, but I was not expecting this. And that was awesome to hear, man. And, you know, I I'm glad that a new generation of fans can wear the gear uh, and, and rep the band, man. It's, it's pretty awesome. Pretty amazing. You touched on a lot of things I want to get to on and I, and, Definitely the 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 latter thing as well. When I think of, when I think of the era that we're speaking on right now, some of the shortcomings of bands was the lyrical content was derivative of things that were already out in a new band. Like you almost heard similar things from bands in different towns with different names. It's like, oh, this is the same band, maybe a different breakdown. But there's no question early on you 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 went a step deeper, you know, um, not just with vocabulary, not with just trying to use cooler words. And it, it's I, I do have to believe that it came because you came from a different environment than some of the other bands that would eventually take on that sound. And there was a real factor in the lyrics, especially especially at the demo stage, you know, demo stage is, a, you know, you never know what a band's going to come out, but, you know. I related reading the lyrics. I remember sitting there reading the lyrics. You had, a, you had this hard voice and you're like, where the fuck do these New York guys come up with this hard, you know, like <laughs> you, Jorge, Martin, you know, like they all had these like 
super aggressive voices. I'm always like, these Spanish guys have the hardest fucking, raw, you know, like, tell yeah. Them. yeah. <laughs> yeah and, and, but so sometimes you had to read the lyrics to catch all the words. And oh, you just yeah. had a, you had a depth that was way more, I wouldn't say uh, mature, but you were thinking past, we're going to kill you, motherfucker. Where did yeah. was that was that was that and I have to also say now speaking with you, I knew you were into metal, but like do you think because of your your base in metal and obviously your areas where those lyrics kind of really got defined? Uh absolutely. They're a huge influence on, on my approach. Like, you know, but with a rate, you know, um, you had three three guys writing lyrics. Oh, I didn't know that. I didn't know that. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I wrote a lot of uh, stuff, but so did Nick Irate. And so did Nando Redrum. Nando Redrum wrote, wrote a couple songs. And all of them were dis- dis- different perspective on, on our lives and, and, and what the hell we're, we're seeing in the world and what we're going through. And, you know, so we feel that human element to, to what we were doing uh, really uh, just broke through with kids and, and, and resonated and, you know, made us really relatable. Uh, and so, you know, they were really loyal to us. You know, I remember going to Japan the first time or going to Europe the first time and just, uh, just uh, shocked that people knew who we even were much less were going crazy and singing the lyrics to in a language they didn't even know. Um, or, or we're not too familiar with, uh, and it's wow. You can't help but but get humbled, and and this 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 journey has humbled me many times. Let me tell you, um, not only with the IRA stuff, but with uh, Judas syndrome, and and now with the new uh, the new journey I'm taking with uh, Knights of the Black. Um, yeah, man, it, it, and that's what's kept me in this for 25 years. Um, just that passion that people have and, you know, that camaraderie that, that we all have with each other and, and keeps us motivated, keeps us going. And, you know, the last couple of years, I had kind of walked away from, from all of this. I mean, the, one of the last couple of years I was consistently going to shows was when I last saw you. And, and that had to be like 14, 15, you know, when the, when Judas syndrome broke up finally, um, uh, I was just like, ah, I'm burnt. I need to like chill out and do other things, you know? Um, and so, you know, I started going to a lot of horror conventions cause I'm a big horror nerd and just get started getting involved in that community. And that's been great, you know? Um, and now, you know, my son and I, uh, he came to me a few years ago. Uh, he played in Judas syndrome, the last version of the band. He and Nando Redrum uh, kind of helped me out because some of the guys had quit. So we started to, um, you know, think about writing a new Judas Syndrome record. But then my son just wasn't into the idea. He wanted to do his own thing. So he and Nando um, have always played music together. Nando was his mentor on the guitar. And they make beautiful music together, those two. And and. They started writing some material and and then asked me to come on board. And I was just like, hell yeah. You know, this is not something that I would ever walk away from or, uh, 
you know, not take part in because it's, it's my son, it's my flesh and blood. And it's my brother Nando who, you know, spent some of the greatest years of my life with me touring the, you know, the world and, and, and having fun together. And so that opportunity presented itself and, and uh, you know, it's been slow. I and mean, we've been talking about this a few years, but in the last, you know, uh, pre-pandemic, it, it's really starting to pick up and uh, the album is pretty much written. I just got to finish recording uh, a couple more songs and, and then it's, it's going to be uh, released. I think it's a blessing when people can leave their environment in any regard, whether it's through financial means and going on vacation, but there's something special for me. And I know from a lot of my hardcore friends, when you get a world exposure because of the bands that were involved in, whether we're roadian or playing in them. And I, I've not been to Japan. I've been to Europe quite a few times. And it's just such a lucky thing that because of this, this music that we liked and then the involvement in the bands that were given this opportunity. So when you're talking about that, it definitely is something that's going to stick with you. And, and it, it almost, it, I won't, I would say like the rewarding thing is like, how the fuck do these kids know about this band? And I know obviously now with the internet, it's way easier. And um, way easier. Before, <laughs> there I, I was no internet back then, you know, no, and no. we had to write letters like Nick Irate. I'll give, I, I want to give a shout out to Nick, uh, who is the heart and soul of Irate. If, if there was no Nick Irate, there would be no Irate. Um, but, you know, not only was he, is he a tremendous songwriter, but, like he, in the early days, he was the one writing letters to p- people in Europe, to distros in Europe, to making connections all over the place. Like he had the P.O. box, the band P.O. box, and he would be in there every day just just mailing away and, and, and making sure our, our demos got everywhere. You know, that worked, that, that word of mouth. And, and we, you know, out here in New York, you know, and Nando and I would go to every show and just hand out the demo. You know, if you loved it, if you hated it, you had it in your hands at least, you know. And um, that kind of work ethic that, that really just, that drive to, you know, to to at least know that you put everything you had into into your art, um, it's a great feeling, man. And, and you know, we, we worked really hard to to, to get out there. And when we started to get out there, we started to get noticed and, you know, we grew as a band and then Kevin stepped in and started helping us out as well. And, and we just started to branch out and it just took over from there, man. And it was a tremendous ride. Uh, you know, to represent the Bronx is a, is a huge thing. And, um, you know, uh, we don't take it for, for granted. Now I know, um, Specifically, when we were got got to Europe, touching on what you said about the cold cuts thing, when I got to Europe, I see more irate irate merch at a show in two thousand and five than I'd seen sometimes in like ninety eight. So when you tell me that cold cuts came out, I could have told you you're gonna fucking kill it because the kids today are so fucking crazy about it's a different world than you and I. If the if you saw a band T shirt. You're like, oh, that's cool. Maybe if you see the band, you'll buy it. And then if they stop making it, they stop making it. They moved on to something else. Like, obviously, everyone had a 25 to life hoodie. A bunch of people had that VOD windbreaker. You know, you might have a Fury of Five windbreaker or something like that. Mm-hmm. There's a couple key piece of merch. Everyone had one man ball shirt. And you're like, oh, shit, 
that's the classic man ball set off record shirt, you know, or the, you know, like there's certain hardcore merch, but today because of the merch stores and the internet and the constant immediate access to merch, the smartest thing you could have did was to let John put it out because kids would have just sort of bootlegging irate merch because they want to wear that was happening. Oh, okay. That was so many kids, so many kids, it's out of respect, but they don't know how to do it properly. They just want to wear an irate shirt. So like when we were in Europe with shadow realm, it was insane to see how many people were like, you would have thought you guys just fucking played there. Like, you know, like it's, it's an amazing Testament. And so obviously we're going to, we're going to yada yada through it. Cause I, I, I know that you've gone so beyond irate. Uh, yeah. Since you haven't heard the whole episode, or maybe you have, Kevin spoke on the moment where you decided you couldn't do irate anymore. And Punishment had the exact same thing with our drummer. Contracts there. And to us, we're on too damn hype. We're on nothing big. And Dan's like, I can't do it. I can't go on tour. I can't record. And we're like, yo, what the fuck? So we just added these bad members. And it took a little bit longer for the wheels to fall off. But not having him with us, initially really fucked us up for a long time and actually it wasn't until this summer when we were posting old pictures because this would have been our 20th year that he was like my biggest regret was not just doing that record and touring with you guys again did you ever regret in hindsight later on that you didn't go a little bit further with the band well i want to clear some things up that kevin kind of got wrong uh oh! Uh oh! Clear it up! Clear it up! So let me go on the record here, and uh, Kevin, I love you, but there's definitely some misinformation there. So uh, I, you know, I joined the band and we started playing shows in '96. So from then to like '99, I was in the band, and then, um, you know, during that time, I had uh, my son, my first, uh, my my baby boy was was born, my firstborn, Jason. And, you know, there was a lot going on. Like Irate was getting really popular, but, you know, I had also this responsibility, you know. Uh, and so around 99, you know, th- there, there were some things happening. You know, I had split from um, my son's mother and just a lot of things going on. So we were talking to a label at that point, Spitfire Records, um, uh, our buddy Steve who was the A&R there and they had Testament at the time. Wow. Um, uh, Crowbar and a couple of the bands, you know. Um, and, you know, at the time I, I just had had to make, I felt like there was a lot going on and having grown up without a dad uh, in my life, you know, like uh, not being in my son's life was was never going to happen. Um, but at the same time, there were a lot of commitments going on, but long story short, um, you know, I said, I have to take a time out. I, I can't do this right now. Um, so a lot of things going on and I didn't officially quit the band. I never said the words I quit. I just said, I gotta, I gotta take a break. And so during that time, the band, you know, they were like, well, the way they saw it, you know, I would, I was gone. So they went out, they got a new singer, um, and they played for a little bit with him, I would say about a year, uh, a little more than a year. But, you know, that just didn't, there was, you know, I can't speak for them, but the way I saw it is that the chemistry just wasn't there. 
between them and, and the guy. Um, and, you know, we were all still cool, you know, at least, you know, there was like, uh, no, I hate him. And maybe at first they felt that way, but like, um, you know, eventually, you know, time heals shit. And at that point I had a really good grasp of everything going on in my life, uh, as a young man. And we started talking again. And, and one day they just said, Hey man, let's just, let's just pick this back up. And so we did. And that was in like 2000. And I remained in the band until the end. And that was in 2006. And I already did a lot of one. That's when we started to go abroad. That's when we, we were doing our thing, man. We were doing well, so our I thing. Definitely, I definitely saw a huge amount of T-shirts for Irate in that yeah. time period. Now, I remember I, I'd seen only one time had I not seen you in the band. And what's interesting in that time period, and you can attest to this, sometimes the singer's got a job. He can't play. So I was like, oh, this must be a feeling. They didn't want to not be on the bill. I didn't realize you had not been in a band for a second. And then I'd seen you later on. I'm like, Oh, see, so in the fucking man, what are they talking about? Yeah. It was a, 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 you know, a blip in the history really. It, it went by quickly, but you know, there was a, a, a time and there's actually like a three song demo with him somewhere. You can probably find it on YouTube. Um, and it, it was, it was different. Uh, I'll just say that, you know, I won't knock it, you know, I, um, but it, it just, it wasn't the, it wasn't irate, you know, as, um, as, as a second, as, as a second singer, as a second singer or the, as the second person to record with shadow realm, it is impossible to duplicate what someone does. Oh yeah. And you shouldn't. And, and, and that was the whole point I went to. Yeah. I, and so I could, I, I can see all the points of it. It's like, well, it's not the first guy. Well, yeah, no shit. He's not, you know, but that's not what it is. So, and I think that I think that time will never really sink into, oh, do you know that one period where that guy did that three songs? It's always going to be you. And I think that for me with Irate, I'm actually, and it's I'm fucked up. It would have been great to see you play like Art War did. Play some shows, write a record, do it on your own terms. But I'm I'm the I'm the proponent of making bands the full time endeavor that creates the only way these guys make money because I mean I I'm not able to foresee COVID but that's what's going on now I feel like the best and most creative bands have never been pushed by a label under a timeline to create and I feel like when a band's entire motivation is that they have to get to Europe. They have to do these tours so they can make money. It weakens the potential that the bands have. Now, now obviously there are tons of bands, AF, Terror, Manball, those bands, sick of it all. Those bands are the exception to the rule to so many bands that get told, Oh, you need a record every two years. I'm as much as I would love to see. I rate, you know, once every couple months or, you know, Hey, Oh yeah, they're playing here, you know, or oh, they're gonna have a record. It'd be cool. But to see you guys at a major label, you guys would end up not being the, you know, the legacy that you guys have to some degree. And so it's yeah, a weird, yeah. it's a weird, it's a weird fucked up thing. And um, I never, I never say, Oh, you guys should have, I'm, I'm happy that things ended the way that because there's a story there. 
And and what you said, you fucked me up with the Fernando thing because obviously, like, they have a childhood friend that would become your high school friend, your first bandmate, be the mentor of your son. That is such a deep connection. And, and it's beautiful. That's it what really is. Just to watch them together sometimes, it's like, fuck, man. Like the one time we played a show, we played with Despise, the last Judas Syndrome show, we played with Despised Icon, great guys. Um, you know, we played with them before and everything. And they asked us to play at Gramercy Theater with them on their comeback tour. And we were like, fuck yeah, man, this is great. Um, so I recruited them to help me out with the show. And as they're playing the intro that night, and I see my son there and I see one of the greatest friends I'll ever have in my lifetime. And one of the greatest human beings ever. I had a tear in my eye on the side. I was just like, I, the moment was so overwhelming. And it's, it's a moment that I will never forget. And, and I can't wait to experience it again when when the time comes to play a show now going into judas you taking a couple years off i guess uh your son was growing up and you decided you wanted to do a new band is what was the uh what was the impetus and drive to start judas after uh the end of irate so like irate ended you know um a lot of things happen at the end of irate like we had this long legal issue with another California I, the, band. The acronym I R A T E. Yes. Infinite uh, Rebellion guy's, Against the Establishment or something like that. What was that? There was a guy who was like a fake manager who kept talking shit. And it, it was the early stages of the internet. So I'm going to lay out this for everybody listening. So Irate had been a band since 1996. This is established. This is factual. In the new mirror. New metal era, a band used the acronym I.R.A.T.E. And I had read an article somewhere that Nick or someone was contacted by him. And the, and the manager basically yeah. asked them, well, when did you start? And then whatever they said, the guy had claimed that this band started a year before that. And pretty much uh, along those lines, I, uh, this guy, I forgot his name now. It's been so many years, but Teflon or something like this, like some like a shitty manager yeah. name. So, yeah. Him. Like ridiculous dude. Right. So he calls and he's just like, well, you know, we've been out longer and you know, we're, we're an established act. They know us everywhere. And we were like, where, because <laughs> no, we yeah, don't know where. who the fuck you are. Yeah, you're not going to Japan. And, you're not playing your own. <laughs> you know, you wanna you wanna measure sticks right now. Uh, I think we're gonna win that. And you know, and, and Nick was just like, "This guy's ridiculous" or whatever. But it became a thing. Um, and they were they kept it up and and threatened court. So we had to hire a guy on retainer, a lawyer on retainer. And you know, um, when you're a working class band, that becomes expensive. And that becomes, you know, a, a nuisance, you know. So we went back and forth with this, these, these guys for uh, a few years. And, you know, finally we were like, we, we came to a gentleman's uh, agreement where we would uh, put the uh, NYC at the end. I rate NYC and they can go on as uh, the, the acronym that they were using. 
Um, but, you know, they went through all of that with us and they broke up the year after we broke up or something like that. Um, so, you know, it's kind of like, wow, these guys. Um, but, you know, like, so after that um, breakup, and that wasn't the reason, like, it, it was one of the factors because we decided to stop playing as irate at some point at towards the end. And try to find a new name. So we were playing under other names, assumed names, if you will. But, you know, kids would, you know, recognize. And, and by the end of the set, we're irate. You know, like, that's just the way it was. Um, and w- when it finally did come to an end, I was like, you know, I don't know if I want to play music anymore. Like, I, it's just heartbreaking shit. Like, we put all these years and, you know, this is this is a tough way to go where where in recent years, we kind of lost the name, even though we technically didn't, but we kind of did. Um, and and to deal with the, the weight of that, because, you know, we had so many years under our belt, and for these guys to come out of nowhere, that bullshit was a huge pain in the ass. But anyway, we we, we went on and tried to play as, a, as another name. We had Doc Forbid and Lorenzo, Sworn Enemy, helping us, you know, um, and at some point during all of that, we just said, you know what, you know, other people's, you know, got some things going on and we just took a major hit. And so, you know, we decided to, to end the band. Uh, but then, you know, about a year after I raid, you know, uh, I got a call from my boy, Chris and Tom, um, who were in a band called Athletus. Um, kind of based out of the Bronx. I don't think everybody was uh, Bronx. There was some Queens in there, but like, you know, Athletus was a band that we knew and played a ton of shows with back in the day. And uh, So I was intrigued by the offer to come and play with Chris uh, Oblivion and Tom Talata. And um, that's how the Judas syndrome was born. And it's a- you know what? Judas syndrome had a great run also. Um, you know, we, we had great cramp camp, you know, like commercial campaigns, like, you know, a lot of radio support from Sirius XM and, uh, SOU and, and, and radio across, uh, um, college radio across the country. We got to be on Headbangers Ball, uh, the video, one of our videos. And, um, you know, we, we did, we opened and played with a lot of great national acts also and made a lot of friends. So. Those were fond years as well. I was going to ask you, and it touched on some of it, not just culturally on how the shows were for Judas, but also the way that the band operated. There was a lot of differences because we're talking about, what was it, like 12, 13 years from the start of Irate to the start of Judas, where now the internet's in play full time beyond MySpace. Yeah. Cause I remember there was a whole thing about the MySpace irate page getting shut down, <coughs> but there was this internet that you could promote your band on. And I remember seeing so much at that time period. And I was actually excited because, you know, you were now playing with national death metal bags and national metal acts. I'm yeah. like, Holy fuck. And I thought this is the band where he's going to go on and do more like what the God forbid on earth would do later on where they would just tour with these bands. And did it feel, did it feel, did it feel, 
did it feel good because it wasn't the same as playing castle every weekend or did it feel odd and awkward which which how did you feel about playing the different worlds since the two bands well it felt great i mean you know at that point castle had long since been over oh yeah um and you know it was it was just felt really good that 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 my body of work um uh was was so filled with with great musicians and and uh just to keep that going even after the castle era to a whole new audience to a whole new scene in in a lot of respects um was a wonderful thing it was a great experience and you know one led to the other uh so you know you cherish them both uh but they were definitely different and because they were different bands you know, Judas Syndrome sounded nothing like Irate. And uh, Knights of the Black will sound nothing like either of those bands. Although, you know, there's af- there's actually, you know, there's there's always that influence uh, that you carry with you and in, in, in the things you do. But like, um, you know, I musically, I always try to push myself uh, to do something different, uh, something, you know, I wouldn't say more extreme because I mean, irate was heavy as hell. Uh, and then Judas syndrome did, you know, the, the metal stuff well too, you know, and, and uh, this, this next thing is going to be the only thing I can describe it is, is, is pretty evil. <laughs> now, is it yeah. evil because you spent this time at these horror conventions or is it evil because you had some time to marinate on what you haven't done in a band? Um, so, the horror thing is a lifelong thing. Okay. So when, when, when uh, is, so it's when just that I kind of tapped into that, to that scene more when, when I wasn't playing music on a regular, I think basis. it also developed more in the last 10 to 15 years. I have friends that have been going to the, um, the horror cons that we have here down in Cherry Hill for a long time. That's the one, the main, the main one I go to is, is that one. Yeah. yeah, Monster Mania. Monster yeah, Mania. Monster Mania. And they have it in yeah. March and they have it in uh in the wintertime. And um big shout out to Sav from Stormwatch and his wife. They've had a room where they get like the room at the hotel and a spread yeah. that is Go legendary. And you always see pictures. And um I have a friend who you're also friends, what you may not even realize is when Death Threat did the 20 years just last time at This Is Hardcore, Larry Dwyer, the original bass player. That motherfucker runs a con in Connecticut. He runs a horror con. He's like, yo, I've been doing this horror con. And I'm like, what? He's like, that, yeah, if it's Connecticut horror con, then I've been to it. Um, uh, so, yeah, like, because, you know, like, not only do I go to Monster Mania, but um, we go to, you know, I've gone to ones in Texas. And, and well, where did that we, start? Why don't you, why don't, I really love when band people do more than just playing bands and just have jobs. I love the idea of like a, a hobby and obviously I have a lot of friends who are into this stuff. So when did you first break into the horror con thing? So uh, it's probably like uh, after, after the end of Judas syndrome, like, you know, I had always wanted to go and meet my heroes and, you know, like since I started watching horror and, and, and like eighties action films and, and all that stuff when I was a young, young child, it just stayed with me, you know, it's like, it, it became part of me. Um, and, you know, like I've seen these, a lot of these movies so many times that these characters feel like they're family. So I always wanted to kind of meet, um, 
you know, a lot of them. And a friend of mine who was a filmmaker and worked for Howard Stern, he he one day shot uh, Bill Mosley, who was uh, a legendary horror icon. Yeah. Um, and one of my favorites of all time, uh, record a message for me. And he sent it to me and that just, just blew me away. Like I had to meet him now, you know? So, um, you know, like that kind of sparked my interest. And then the opportunity finally came where I saw a flyer for Monster Mania a few years back and uh, Bill was on it and, and, um, and a ton of other people that I, that I loved. And so I went to my first one, spent the weekend there and, you know, I ran into a lot of people, you know, from this, from hardcore and metal and all that too. And, and not only that, just like the horror community itself, it was just so impressive to me how all of that just, just, you know, was three days of awesome and, and no egos with these people. And, and they're just so friendly and they get to, you get to answer or ask all these fanboy questions that you, you've been dying to know. And they're, so these actors are just so great about just, you know, uh, giving you the information and talking and it just became a thing that I just started doing. Um, but as far as bringing it into music, I always wanted to marry the two because metal and hardcore, uh, I mean, I'm sorry, metal and, um, and horror are like brother and sister. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's, it's, you see so many metal heads at these things and uh, even hardcore and, and death metal, everybody. Um, and so I wanted to marry the two uh, musically, and but never got to do so in Judas Syndrome or Irate. Irate wrote different style of music and different, um, you know, topics. And then, you know, Judas Syndrome as well. So, like, I didn't have those avenues, and I always wanted to do it. So when this presented itself, I knew that that would be the basis of this album. And this album is a love letter uh, to horror. Now, where does the name and uh, origin uh, originate from? Where did you guys come to grab that from? So the Knights of the Black, you know, like for the better half of two years, we've been trying to come up with a name. And, you know, I would just spend whole nights thinking about this. Uh, and, and, you know, one day, um, I was looking at Star Wars of all things. And one of the new, uh, I think it was um, either Force Awakens or something like that. I think it was Force Awakens. And, you know, I was digging the idea of Knights of the Ren. Uh, just to look to them and, 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 and the whole thing. And I just like started to wordplay with, you know, different, uh, like Knights this, and I, you know, like a, a whole bunch of, of things. And then one day it just came to me out of nowhere. It was like Knights of the Black. Um, and I was just blown away by that. And I immediately texted the rest of the guys and they were like, fuck yeah. You know, I'm, I'm really a, uh, like a medievalist. I read a lot. I've been involved in um, rattan sword fighting and some steel fighting. And so when you would hit me up and you're like, yo, we're thinking about doing this. I was immediately like, all right, that's a fucking hard name. You know, like uh, there's uh, in knights, knights have different orders and that was how they were put together throughout the centuries. And um, especially in the crusader, there were quite a few different orders. So when I hear that name, I think knights of the black, I think of like, 
um, I think of like the Teutonic Knights and the Templar Knights in their, uh, a lot of people see the Templars and they, and they, or and the Crusades in general, and they think, oh, the white, the white field with the red, with the red cross. But often there was a lot of different, there were a lot of different orders of knights. So I just think of a bunch of knights in an all black outfit. And it's actually, it's a pretty cool harrowing image. And so you have Fernando and your son in the band. Yeah. And then we have, um, and right now on bass, we have my old bandmate from the Judas syndrome, Tom Talata, who switched from drums to, uh, to bass on this one. Now, obviously, obviously because we're in a non, we're in a, we're in a COVID no show thing. Yeah. Did you guys, you guys hadn't played your first show yet, have you? No, like we're not going to do anything like that until we record and finish this record. That's the number one priority. Um, and then we'll give uh, playing shows a thought. Although the way things look right now, I don't think shows will be a, a, a thing anytime soon, unfortunately. But, you know, that, that gives us time to really uh, do the the best possible record that we can do. And actually um, we're working on something for a, a little teaser for the end of the month. Uh, so we're hoping to release some, some, something new and, and flavorful to the masses. And I think they're really going to dig this. Um, and, and we're really proud of it. Like this has been a challenge for me musically because it's like, unlike anything I'd ever done before. Um, super fast, super technical. Um, and, you know, I, there were periods where I said to myself, I don't think I can write to this or like, uh, this is beyond me. But, you know, um, eventually, you know, and especially at the beginning of the pandemic, you know, I, I started working from home and, and, you know, I had more time to really lose myself in the music and play it over and over again. And then things just started to, to really flow. And, you know, a lot of the, uh, most of the songs are based on movies that I love from the perspectives of the characters in those films. So I'm playing characters in every song. And that was a beautiful challenge, uh, stressful at times, but it's really, uh, come together and I've been able to tell some really good stories. And, you know, with Judas syndrome, um, I started to write more stories. I, I wrote the personal stuff too with Judas syndrome, but, you know, started to branch out and just become a storyteller. Um, I rate, I feel really captured the personal stuff and I didn't kind of want to repeat that. I, I wanted to branch out and try other things. And, you know, I'm not opposed to writing personal things, but like, you know, I really love telling stories uh, to the point where I hope to write a film one day and uh, tell, a, tell a horror story myself. Um, uh, but yeah, like that's what this album is. It's, it's my love letter to, to that whole uh, influence in my life. And um, uh, I'm really excited about it. Now, I, I wanted you to kind of explain a little bit better because I, I know exactly what you're saying. As a singer unless you're really trained, it's hard when you get in the one pattern form of how you like to scream, how you like to enunciate, how you write the song. So they benefit the voice that you have. And obviously irate was the foundation. You expanded on it with Judas. So what you're explaining is 
now that this band is faster or technical, you were kind of nervous. Like, how do I even write lyrics to fit the pattern so I can sing? Is that what you're talking about? Yeah. Yeah. Like mathematically, um, you know, I write, uh, I, I write mathematically. So pattern. do I, I do the exact same thing. Like, yeah. uh, but you know, all right, eight, 12. Yeah. I get exactly eight what you're syllables saying. here, yep. 30, 22 syllables there. Like, yep. you know, I'm very, that's always been my approach. And, um, it was just a challenge to find steady vocal patterns to a lot of chaotic things that are going on. Um, and, and, you know, having been out of the game for almost five years at this point, you know, it's, it, it wasn't the easiest thing to walk into. Plus, you know, I'm trying to tell a story, you know, I'm trying to bring a story to life from nothing, you know, and, and do it justice and, and have it be, everything that I wanted to be. Um, and so just the combination of those things, it, it was, it was difficult to get started. Uh, but after I wrote my first one and recorded it and, you know, that day when I recorded that song, I thought I was miserable. I, I thought I could not sing anymore, all of this stuff. And I came home and I was really upset. And my fiance said the next day, well, why don't you listen to the playback before you get all, you know, out of pocket with yourself. And I did, and I was blown away. I mean, whatever I was hearing in the booth didn't, re didn't transfer to, to what I was hearing at the time. But when I heard it the next day, I was just like, oh my God. Yeah. All right. And that had kind of inspired uh, the rest of the journey that I've taken since then. How much are you reading these days? I read a fair amount, you know, um, I, you know, like I'm not reading a ton, but, you know, like I try to keep my mind stimulated and, and you know, just read different things. Why well, I, well, I ask I ask that because I, I wonder if you're trying to go to a storytelling frame and focus, if you had any kind of like uh, inspiration from something, because uh, especially with if any of the horror stories are, are, are any of the ones you're talking about, are they any of them Stephen King ones or no? Um, I don't think so. Yeah. When I think about when people always bring up horror stuff, I usually think like they're to me because I, because I read all like almost all the Stephen King novels I read at this point, I think there's might be like five or six in the last years that I haven't checked out, but I feel like horror has such a deep base within books. And I didn't know if that's why you're translating to more of a storytelling frame of mind. But I also think that it's cool that you're pushing yourself because, I mean, unless this is you're not doing no blind guardian stuff in this band, are you? No, this is like, <laughs> gonna ask. you know, it, it's crazy because, you know, I, to say that this is one of the heaviest things I've ever done is is saying a lot. It's, it's uh, going to raise the bar that raises the bar. It, it raises the bar. Right. But I, I think um, that I've put forward a great effort to just bring it to a whole nother level um, just with what I'm doing vocally, but the clarity of it, uh, brutality of it, but the clarity of it. And it's, it's really inspiring um, what, what we've been able to create, you know, it, it's, <laughs> I can't say enough good things about it. Like I'm so excited to, to kind of like feature this already and, and, have the world recognize and, and be introduced to my boy, you know, who, 
has written some great songs and he and Nando have collaborated and, and made something beautiful. And now that we have Tom on board and we um, hired a session drummer who was a technical death metal drummer. His name is Chasen. Um, and he played in a bunch of bands like Hate Eternal and Equipoise, all these technical death Holy metal bands. Holy shit. Yeah. Um, and so we got him on board. Uh, he's from uh, Las Vegas and, you know, he recorded this stuff and, and sent it to us and he just blew our minds, man. Uh, it's one of the coolest decisions, you know, we've, we've ever made uh, just to have him come along and, and do these songs for us. And um, eventually, you know, we'll get a, a steady drummer. Uh, we're not worried, not too much worried about that right now, just because we're more focused on finishing the recording. But um, yeah, it's going to be some definite hard shoes to fill because Chasen came in there and just smoked and he's a machine. I mean, anyone who's heard that I monarch record, <laughs> I, I don't know if he was on that, but like, to me, that was a, that was like a benchmark death metal record at that time, that fucking hate eternal record. And because we yeah. were touring, we were touring at that time. And so I got to catch them two separate times in the same tour. We're like, Oh, they're down the street. Let's try to go see them. You know, like that's an incredible, uh, I, I really enjoy metal perspectives and, and I, and you have to compartmentalize it because a hardcore band thinks we're going to put this demo out and we're going to do it. And it's like a death. I was like, no, we're going to write a full fucking record. We're going to hire a guy. So it sounds as good as possible. And the juxtaposition of that is like your first band with Nando was like, yo, we're going to put a demo tape out. <laughs> like it's crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's crazy yeah. to think like the entire construct of your new project is leaps and bounds, but that's the way it should be. It should be progress. Well, it should be progress. It should be maturity. It should, you know, uh, learning all from all of your previous mistakes and not repeating any of them and, and just coming from a better, you know, more experienced perspective. Um, and just, you know, music is such a beautiful thing. And that's really all we want to do here. You know, if I never played a show again, it's what, you know, I'd be okay with that, but, I always want to create and, you know, this is, this was a beautiful opportunity to create something beautiful from nothing. And, oh my God, like when I finish this, I'm going to be so happy, um, you know, that, that, that we got together and did this. I think about the idea of just doing songs for my friends or doing a, like a, just to record because there's so many cool things that we want to do, but at the same time is because the promoter brain in my head goes, Oh, now we got to fucking play shows. Yeah. And it's like, fuck. And it's not that I don't want to play shows. It's that it's that crazy bug. Then it's like, Oh, now let's play another show. Oh, we want to do, you know, and it's like, it becomes a time. And, you know, and I turned 40 this summer. So, you know, I do jujitsu. I put concrete. You know, I got things that I'd like to do and I already put on shows. I already am involved in so much that when you start a new project and a new band, and I've talked to Chris Spear, who was in Dysphoria, and then when they would go on to change singers and do how it ends, he basically took his band. He was a drummer. He stripped it down to him and different members and he had to start the whole chain all over again. And sometimes especially as time wears on and our responsibilities have grown and we have children and different things, it's harder to just pick up and be like, 
all right, we're back in the van three fucking days a weekend. We're going to be practicing two times. It becomes so much effort. So I'm not surprised that you're like, I don't mind if we play, but if, hey, we don't play as long as I'm creating, I'm happy because there's such an effort that comes out as you get older that unless you're in a well-oiled professional machine where the band is paying for you to do these things, it's hard to do this like this. Would you agree? I would agree. Um, I, I At the same time, you know, that's what it takes to, to make a band flourish. Oh, absolutely. Um, but I'm saying, know, is it, I was asking about your perspective. It, yeah, yeah. I mean, well, with this band, you know, we're going to play. Absolutely. Um, if it, if it, you know, like we're going to do the, the do, man, we're definitely, we want to show people this and we think it's going to, you know, we think it's going to really impress people. And, and I'm sure that at some point it's going to get to another level. And, you know, that's when you, you reevaluate, um, how to, how to take all that in and, and deal with that, you know, um, I've always said or been open to with this band, if it got too crazy and, and that being a good thing, especially for, for my boy, um, you know, that I wouldn't mind him having a street team, uh, a, 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 you know, like a young, some younger guys that will step in and really go the four corners with him while at the same time remaining on, in, in the band as a creator. Like I'm open to that if that time comes, you know, but we're going to set it off for a while and we're going to, you know, we're going to, um, you know, try to put our stamp in, in, in the, uh, in the music world. One of the things that I, that you can agree with, especially now, I mean, you're working from home, correct? Yeah. Right now. Yeah. yeah. It seems like the world is going to be more um, uh, uh, open to, streams and videos and i feel like a band post COVID will have still some opportunity to get their name obviously the twitter is important and instagram is important it's all the social media is incredibly important in yeah. getting the names out but i think that you could do a really good job of jumping a couple of steps from what i was talking about we're doing two and three shows a weekend to get the name out just because the post COVID world is going to get used to seeing bands doing streams and there's going to be more digital interface with a band. So I definitely think that you're going to be able to do that. And that, that's why I asked you like, because I mean, is your son, is he, is he 18 yet? My son's 24. Oh shit. Damn. He's a yeah. year older than my daughter. My daughter, my daughter yeah, turned 23. He grew, this up, year. he grew up in this man. He grew yeah. Up so then this is, so then he, then he needs this. He needs that like tour thing when it comes down to it. It's actually incredible to think about that, you know, um, as we're all getting older, like I said, I have a 23 year old. There gets to be a time where we see our kids growing up and um, I don't, I, you, I don't know how well, you know, um, you definitely know Beto, but Beto who played in uh, Marauder and Madball, his chill, his child is now in a band called reaching out and they just got signed. <laughs> it's just so cool to see like, I seen this little kid when he first started coming to this hardcore and they got a hardcore band. It's crazy to think that my friends are creating the next generation of musicians and people yeah, involved man. in hard. It's, it's incredible. And I think that it is. That, I think that that's a really important thing that we've done. I mean, is I mean, 
it's 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 something that makes you go not i always hate when people say god we're getting old it's like no man it's a beautiful thing that we're able to impart to a new generation from a parent's perspective you know like um and i i remember um i was gonna ask you did you drag him along to irate shows when he was younger so he never got to see irate okay it was because he was a little young okay yeah he was a little young um he got to see the Judas syndrome as a high schooler. Um, and that's, you know, that was cool, man. Just like performing in front of him, just kind of seeing the pride that he had and, and what his old man was doing and, and, you know, the influence that he took from that. But he's been around this for so long. Like he grew up going to see Billy club sandwich shows and, you know, sworn enemy and, and, you know, like, and he, his love for metal is rivals mine, you know, like he's a real big metal kid. And, um, you know, at 10 years old, he's like, you know, I, I want a guitar. And, you know, I was at the time I was like, well, I'll buy you a guitar and everything, but you're not going to pay attention to it. You're just going to kind of let it go. And he says, damn, oh, you went man. full, you went full dad on him. <laughs> yeah. I went full dad on him, you know, cause he, I, you know, his attention span back then was like, He'd be into something for a while and then, you know, he'd move on to the next thing. So I just wanted to make sure that he really wanted to go for it. And he said to me at the time, you know, if you get me a guitar, I'll never put it down. And it was the way he said it to me that I, I believed, I believed it to be true. So I did, I got him one for his sixth grade graduation and he true to, you know, true to his word has never let it, uh, go down. No, that's incredible. And when he hooked up with Nando and they started, uh, you know, there, he started teaching Jason and, and, and it, that just grew from there. That's incredible to impart that on him. I think, uh, it's weird because we had to find a lot of this stuff in our own path. I mean, I got lucky. My mom was booking metal bands early on, which is where the open road to, to find, the metal was because it was in, in front of me. And then the, oh yeah, go down to see shows because she knew that was less dangerous than being in the neighborhood. But to actually walk him into this is great. And I think when I think about metal bands now, I think the hardest thing that a metal band has to overcome is the sea of bands that all kind of, it's almost like they pick a sound and then they're vying for like, like in a uh, NASCAR race. They want to be in a top position without being creatively. And I think a band that could be creative and draw from more research like something like you, where you came from the hardcore scene, not who came from the hardcore scene. I think I think you're right. I think people are gonna check it out because there's such a sea of the repetitive things. And I I I, I pay for the Spotify, so every week I'm listening to the new metal tracks. I'm checking out the new records, and so many of it is derivative of didn't this just record come out with a different name? You know, like it'll be yeah, interesting to yeah. see what you guys put out because especially the more extreme, the more death metal, like when you start pushing the extremities and you start pushing this, the faster, harder, I mean, I listen to some weird shit like wormed and stuff like that. It's crazy. And there's people that are into that, but it's almost so crazy. You can't listen to this for half an hour. You listen to a song, go, all right, that's fucking nuts. So I, I, I hope that you guys bring some kind of balance to this and, and get people excited. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing with us. Like, yeah, we could do all that crazy, super, technical stuff for like uh, 45 minutes but like with us we wanted to write songs too 
you know, like uh, things that have, you know, a memorable chorus or, or whatever, like, the, you know, so it's going to be heavy and it's going to be over the top fast at points and, and everything, but it's also going to break nicely when it breaks. And, you know, you're going to get some, you know, to me, uh, more death metal-y, I guess, sing-alongs, you know, like, which is not usually a thing, but there are some bands like Black Dahlia Murder where you go see those guys and it's nothing but sing-alongs, you know, um, they just write, they're storytellers also, and they just write really memorable, hooky, evil stuff. And that's definitely an influence on this band. Um, you know, my son and I are big fans of that band. Um, and it's one of the, the bands from, you know, newer generation of metal um, that he and I really uh, bond over, you know, besides the old stuff like Metallica and Megadeth and all those old bands. But, um, you know, uh, so, you know, I, I like that Trevor is a storyteller. He's definitely an influence uh, in that regard. But I always wanted to, to do that as well. And um, uh, I finally got the opportunity to do that. And, and this is going to be great. Uh, but musically, you know, it's got a bit of everything. It's got some, you know, a hint of irate, you know, and some of the breakdowns and things uh, um, and, and the meanness of it. Uh, and then it just gets technical and, and heavy and, and it's just all over the place, but, but good. There's a good foundation in each song. Um, most times you're going to get a, a, you know, a memorable chorus. It may not be sung, you know, and, and commercial, but it'll be memorable. And, you know, I, I wanted to write things that people will remember and fear at the same time. I like that. Now, when you were talking about the opportunity to do this, you had mentioned, you know, uh, mistakes. Do you feel that you made, like, do you ever think about things that you would have done differently now that you're looking back in hindsight with the bands that you're going to make well, up absolutely. for this band and, and mm -hmm. how you're going to make it up with this band? If you, if you don't do that, then you're doing it wrong. Um, because you're, you always want to improve on anything that, um, that just didn't go right for you or, or was a mistake or was it just a bad decision? You know, all of that, you got to kind of keep in the back of your mind and, and always bring it to have it with you as a reminder um, that, you know, when, when you try certain things, they're just not going to go the right way or, um, and try not to make those mistakes again. You know, that's how we learn, man. And that's how we improve. As a musician or, or anything we, we want to do in this life, uh, working, uh, you know, any other passions that you have, you know, you got to learn from those beginning stages uh, to, to further improve your craft. When you're, when you're talking, are you thinking of any specific mistakes or just, a, just more just talking to generalities? Uh, generalities, you know, like as a band, you make a ton of mistakes, you know, dealing with, uh, you know, it could be dealing with shady promoters or, or people who don't have your best interest um, as part of their best interest, you know, like people that lie to you, people like, uh, you know, and just general mistakes that you yourself make, you know, just bad decisions that didn't help or elevate uh, what you've done before uh, because it just wasn't a good idea. 
you know, you, you, you're always learning. You're always learning. No, I agree. I think a lot of us learns better from making the mistake. Yeah. Um, and I tell everybody that I work with and like help out. I'm only telling you this because I made the mistake already. Don't, don't, don't step in the trap that I fell into. You know, I'm trying to save you a move here. Now, um, I'll go through uh, this one. What do you think your most fond memory of being an irate was? Fond. Whether it was a show, whether it was finishing a record, it was the most fond thing like that immediately comes to mind with irate. That, for the most part, we just had a lot of fun. You know, the, you know, every band goes through its good times and bad times and the waves and all that. But like, we've been broken up for 14 years and those guys are still my brothers. You know, like we hang out whenever we can. Um, as much as time allows, we get together and we're still very much involved in each other's lives. And that's because, you know, we kind of been through it all together. Um, but, you know, you remember the, the touring and, and going abroad the first time and, you know, so many just firsts um, and, you know, having gone through all that together and come out of the other side of it still um, together and still, um, you know, respecting one another. Uh, that's what I enjoyed most of this band, that it, it was a, a lifelong thing that continues to flourish, that, you know, um, still has relevance in, to, in today's generation. Like people are still talking about it. And that's because we wrote things that, was, that were from the heart and that were real. And, you know, real recognize real, man. It's, it's definitely the way it is. So uh, just... I would say, you know, all of that, all of that together. I actually think about bands who stay tight and it always comes down to the bands that didn't play, you know, every month there's like a new spinal tap bass player. Like you guys had a pretty consistent lineup besides maybe a bass change. And yeah. I think it definitely adds to it. Another thing that's interesting about irate specifically, and then it leans also to castle Heights is that, the first wave of internet media sharing irate's demo was like one of them things that everyone got on MP3. And I remember some kid be like, yeah, well, I have it on the computer. I'm like, how did you have a cassette one? Like what? Oh, you know, and I'm starting like, wait, there's kids who are putting out this on the internet. Now you've benefited from that it was almost 20 years ago. That happened. So in the timeline from when you guys started in the early two thousands, there was a group that hadn't seen you, a lot of them European, and there was that surge. And then that's what you said you jumped at. You guys were playing a lot in Europe. You guys benefited from that. Then I specifically remember at the end of 2000, uh, the end of the 2000, which was 2010, 11, was the first bit of this harder interest in music again because it got, was getting hardcore, was getting a little soft. And the focus started getting back to these heavy, hard, metallic bands. And right away, kids like, how come you haven't booked Irate? I'm like, because they fucking broke up five years ago. They're like, Wait, they, they only broke, and I'm like, yeah, they just broke up. Like, they're not gonna yeah, play anytime yeah. soon. So, and that was almost ten years ago, yeah. and now we're at the point where there's this entire generation plus one that have found you guys from different things, and they always go back to thinking such a different opinion than what you are because you guys were. I mean, 
always affable, always driven. You know, it wasn't like you guys were like carrying barbarian swords, like fuck you, we'll kill you. You guys are some of like the most chill dudes to say, hey, what's yeah. up to? Yeah. Yeah. You know, even when you guys, even when you guys didn't know somebody, you were being very chill with. And that's what's cool as shit is that the perspective has been not glamorized, but like it's almost like, oh, it's the guys are my rate. And it's like, yo, man, like you're like one of the nicest people. Like I really came to this arc where I'm like, God, he is so, and even now you're so chill and like it's such a great thing to see yeah. the growth in people. But I mean, <laughs> I don't even want to say the growth in people because you've never not been a chill dude, but this entire conversation, you've been in this like meditative, relaxed state, and I love the vibe of it. And especially as you being Phil vibes, you've had this amazing, great perspective on just how things went. And I find sometimes when I talk to people, it's almost like the Napoleon Dynamite Uncle Rico. And I like that you didn't do that. Man, we could, if Coach would have put me in the game, you're like, you didn't have that story. You're like, I just love that we got to have fun. And you got, and I, and everyone all great. It, there might be a show, might be, hey, that time we finished the record and it was cool, but it's the hours of laughing together. It's the hours, <sighs> it's yeah. the stupid inside jokes. The hijinks. No, dude, the like, inside listen, jokes. Yeah. Like, yeah, the shit. And, and, um, I really, I think that that is got to be the lasting memory for anything because that's the stuff that you can go back to when there's times of anger or when there's times of disagreement and be like, these are the only people I share. And a lot of people will say the hardest part about being in a band is you're in, you're in a separate relationship with four or five other humans. And, and it's, yeah. and to, to see, to hear you talk about that, you guys still talk and all I'm just going to say, cause I have to, as a fest promoter, you have obviously always the open invite. And if there's, this is hardcore in 2021, there will be a Knights of the black. We'll make it happen just because, I've got to see you and your son and Nando on stage again. But also if you guys ever get the, the, the one to do it, you know, the world would love an irate. And I will tell you the thing I always tell some people to go, man, them kids don't care. I'm glad that you're in a position where, you know, like people would really just, and it's not like people would cut each other. No, it's not that people would really like to experience the irate. Now that, that, but I also have to say this, and I say this to people listening, what you will experience is the irate that they're going to present to you now. You'll never get back to that moment. That's true. And they'll never get back to that moment where you dudes are doing these crazy intros and then drop it into like gone or one of them songs and the whole place goes, oh, and that's it. And it's chaos. Like you miss that part. You might have your part, but you'll never have that thing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, we're talking 24 years ago. I mean, yeah, the level the level of insanity that we were as young men um, would definitely. I mean, the music would still be there. You're gonna get that 100. Um, percent But there's a, there was um, a wildness factor that can't be duplicated. You could just, you know, you appreciate what it was and how beautiful it was. And how whenever you got on that stage with your brothers, you looked at each other and you said, yeah, let's do it. You know, and I, I miss that very much with those guys. I always will. Um, I will never say never to a reunion. I always say it's highly unlikely just because 
you know, it's been 14 years and no, we don't hate each other. It's not about beef or anything. You know, just people have moved on with their lives and have other responsibilities and things. Um, um, but we do love each other. We do hang out and, you know, I'll never say never. And, you know, you and Chris and cousin Joe have been, um, amazing over the years, always, you know, just putting the invitation out there. Um, and we are so grateful to be, um, you know, recognized by three of the most important shows, uh, in, in the history of the underground and you know just to to even be asked by the three of you uh has been an absolute honor and i i sometimes think about what if i rate played you know bnb or this is hardcore or tsunami like the reaction would be uh pretty nuts and uh, I, i'm speaking for myself that's the way i see it but i think um, but I think it's accurate, you know, like, I think that people would love to see it. People ask me about it all the time. Um, you know, if it ever happens, it'd be awesome, man. It would, I don't know if we, if we did do it, it'd probably be one time. So then the issue comes, well, what, what, what do we play? And, you know, I'd love to play all three, but if it were a one-time deal, then I'd probably think that we would do our own thing and not, and not be part of a super long fest, if that makes any sense. I actually, um, as far as reunions go, so many bands have actually said a lot of what you said, because there's so many opportunities out there. If we did it, it'd be hard to pick one. We'd only do one. Right. So we'd rather just do a show. And that kind of walks me into something that Kevin had said. I don't know if you'd heard it yet. Kevin is talking about in two years doing a Castle Heights 20 year. So uh, I didn't get to that part yet. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, cool. he's uh, talking about doing a, he hasn't, he hasn't set the construct, whether it's one or two days or, but he's saying he's going to get the bands and uh, maybe that's the one where he's good to see at, man. Oh my God. <laughs> he's a, here we go. Here we go. He's <laughs> oh man. Um, I, like I said, man, like you, you never know. Like, um, but you know, if it hasn't happened yet, I don't know if it ever will, you know, at the same time, like, you know, whenever I turn on YouTube and I see another band covering the band, like I've made a, a, I have a folder on, on my YouTube with over 50 bands, um, 50, 60 bands that have covered irate over the years in all of these different countries. Um, wow. You know, how fortunate are we to 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 hold that kind of um, um, that musical influence still to this day? Like we don't take that for granted at all. And it, it, ideally, I'm sure we'd all love to to get up there and do it. It just hasn't um, the opportunity hasn't presented itself. I think it's a it's a testament to what you guys did, and I think the internet is a great. Um, place to archive and preserve these moments yeah. of greatnesses, and and you gotta and, and obviously you know you know hardcore is still a small thing in the larger bracket versus the Miley Cyruses in the big music world, but there isn't many bands right now that are having so many people cover, and that's like one of the great 
like homage is paid to a band. It's like, hey, you guys are so well known, regardless of the, you know whether it's fucking Sweden, Spain, Germany, New York, California, Texas, that a band would use your song to kind of hype up their set, and there's a generation excited about that, and that's their only experience as I rate cover. And from experience, when you start seeing those, and I also look at these covers and someone like, dude, look how many times this band's been covered. And you're like, oh, shit, I guess people are really starting to like them. Now they're starting to cover them. Um, we've been talking a while. I want to hit this. I'll hit you some short questions and we'll get you out of here because I've been talking to you. Oh, no, dude, I've, I got all the time <laughs> in the world bad. for you, brother. I feel, I feel bad. And, and especially this was about for me. And I'll explain. I, I really had a personal interaction with the band I rate. And just really enjoyed them. So and so many people enjoy irate that I had to ask questions. But knowing you, I know that you're you've always expanded. And anyone who hadn't checked out the Judas syndrome, you gotta check it out. And I know a lot of younger folks have probably listened to bands in that same vein. And I am always excited when bands do new things when they're going in a different direction, like um in a different vein. Scott Vogel and Sammy and Arthur have a band called World Be Free. It doesn't sound like any of their other bands, but it sort of sounds like some of their other bands. It's a cool thing to see people doing new projects together, regardless of um, the aesthetics. Now that you got Absolutely. my head roll, you got my head rolling in this uh, horror thing. What was the first horror movie that you saw that scared the shit out of you? So we're going back to when I was like five six years old man <laughs> yep and i would say the first one um um probably the shining maybe or or friday the 13th part two okay. one of those two i always get iffy but they both uh brought legitimate fright exciting fright to my life, to my young life then. And then, um, you know, I saw the Texas Chainsaw Massacre and that just like was, was mind blowing to, to my little mind at that point. Uh, it was so scary, but awesome at the same time. And um, those were the films that kind of started my journey. And then, you know, Halloween and, and all these other uh, great, but then, you know, I started to go deeper. I started to do a lot of the B-horror movies and enjoy those as much as the more commercially famous ones, um, if not more, most times. Um, and, you know, just build a real tolerance for, for that stuff. And still, uh, I love, I always enjoy seeing a, a good new film. Um, like in recent days, there's like the Hatchet movies and there's, you know, Terrifier. And, you know, there's definitely some people still bringing the ultraviolence and that's great. Um, but it started with those those classic films uh, when I was a kid. What would you say in horror now matters more to stay within kind of like the uh, the trope or when it when um, a, mu- a movie goes a little bit beyond that? Like uh, so, for instance, I seen on uh, Amazon Prime that it was like called Satanic Panic. So I put this on. I, know, yeah. I, I put this on and I'm like, I don't expect much out of it. But what I saw not only amused me, but I'm like, all right, this was good, you know? But then I watch a movie like Mandy and I'm fucking blown away by it. And then I watch a movie like Martyrs, the original, 
And I'm like, geez. And uh, my wife makes me watch the stuff like The Conjuring and the shit. And I jump like we're, it's all dark. But then like is good. the fucking Baba Duke fucked me up. I hate I hate those little like I don't I remember the word for the characters, but in much like the puppet masters, these little things that are like not supposed to scare the fuck out of you, but you're off put by them. So I oh. think I remember I think I remember being fucked up by the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, especially that very first scene. When he walks in, cracks that guy with the fucking hammer and puts him on the hook. As a child, that was one yeah. of the most visceral images of my life. Just being like same here. <laughs> like like and then the and then that silver door slamming. Um, so hard and just oh my god, terrifying. Terrifying now, shit, man. Now were you um, ever were you ever in the faces of death? I yeah, I saw those. I saw like um faces and then I saw traces of death which with was death evil. metal with a death Ooh. metal background i was obsessed that was harsh that. i that was, was obsessed harsh. with that as a death metal me too me too i i loved watching those when i was younger and that that kind of builds your tolerance right so like i could see anything now right um but yeah yeah definitely went through a phase where traces of death was getting regular play you know with all the boys and everything hanging out that would be like the background shit um uh, at my at my place, um, so yeah, definitely. But that's the thing about horror: it, you have slashers, you have paranormal stuff, you have traces of death, and, and the and like real stuff, like all these different things. Uh, so you 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 find a little bit of good in each. Um, horror nowadays is is hit or miss. You know, it, it just is, and it's mostly bad. Um, so I kind of live off the classics, but like, you know, there's, there's definitely some good franchises today too. You know, like, like you mentioned the conjuring, I'm a huge fan of those films, uh, and and the universe I'm into the universe. I thought they could have done a better job with the nun and I could have, and the last Annabelle, but the first two Annabelles were great. Um, and the conjuring movie, the, the first two of those are great. Uh, so there's just a rich field of stuff in, in the horror um genre that you can take from and, and enjoy and i'm into all of them have you ever thought with the knights of the black of incorporating music and horror into any kind of visual presentation like a like a video with a horror theme because obviously the lyrics are going to be that like um and that's why i was getting back to the live streaming stuff especially now with the way that it's so easy to do. Well, not so easy, but if you're talented or you can teach yourself, there's bands creating these awesome videos right from their laptop with very little physical investment. Have you ever thought of playing something like that out? Absolutely. Um, you know, right now, like I said, we're, we're, we're going to try to release the, you know, a track at the end of the month and we're working on a lyric video right now. Uh, with a, a good friend of mine who is a filmmaker and did an amazing documentary on the history of horror and metal. And he's got some of the, the most iconic uh, horror actors and some of the biggest bands in metal too on there, just talking about their mutual love for metal and horror and, and how the two worlds um, mesh together in a lot of respects. And um, so he's on board and we're trying to create something that is um, – scary and 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 brutal and all that stuff and 
Um, we're going to start getting the first drafts of, of what that's going to look like soon. So I'm, I'm really excited. Um, I think he's, he relates to what I'm trying to do or trying to bring forward. Um, and he's gonna, he's gonna do a great job. And I'm really excited about that. I was thinking about this and it just came to mind. Were you familiar with the, I don't know, Phil Pantera was involved with Phil Anselmo was involved with this project called Necrophagia. And they had this VHS and they did like this really like off-putting horror gore, like uh, vignettes for the songs. And um, it's just, I don't know if you're familiar with them. like a weird off offshoot of one of many Phil projects, but it definitely. Yeah, ha- I never heard of that one or, or at least I, I'm not familiar with any music or anything like that. So. Uh, I think that, I think that there's especially in today's in today's world we're gonna see more video being used. And actually, randomly, because I was uh, listening to Joe Rogan, I, I actually was fucked up that Spotify was using videos. Like someone was saying, "Oh, you can see the video of it." So it's not gonna be long before we're watching like pocket versions of like a headbangers ball sort of thing. We're gonna see bands incorporating it. Now, I'm not a person who believes that COVID is going to keep us from having uh, concerts for years on end. So it's not like that. But I just think that what I'm saying is the industry itself will be normalizing video presentations as. uh, That's happening now. Well, that's exactly it. It's it's happening now. And I don't think when live shows come, that's going to go away. I think it's going to be another. It's going to be another tool to utilize. And especially if you're talking about the concepts. And horror, I think that it's definitely something, an avenue that you guys could pursue and slam dunk with. Yeah, like, I absolutely agree. That's definitely where things are going. Uh, you had Metal Injection Slay at Home Fest. That was a big success. And, and it just wasn't even about bands. It was a lot of different band members from um, all kinds of bands, uh, you know, forming like these little uh, little superstar bands and and collaborating on songs or covering songs, and it was cool, you know, to see you know Trevor Black Dahlia with Flatus Maximus of Guar and and uh, the guy from Revocation and and like just banding together and doing this really cool cover of Cannibal Corpse and, and all kinds of things like that during that weekend, but all different kinds of of uh, music too. Like it wasn't just metal. Like there was some you know, some lighter stuff, more rock-based stuff, some you know, experimental music too. Like it was all kinds of cool things. And I, I think that's where things are going for a little bit um, and, and might even stick around. I mean, Metallica just did a, a, a whole video, a whole concert uh, that they did for the drive-ins. And that was awesome, you know? So like, you know, just thinking of new ways to kind of deal with, our current situation, but still bring music to the masses, you know? Well, I think that, especially with the drive-ins, I, I first was told about that by Mark from MAD. He had hit me up on email and was like, we're doing drive-in shows. You guys should look into it. And I just couldn't think about how it would work in a hardcore construct. But I think the music industry will constantly find whatever avenue it can use to present music yeah. to as many people and provide potential revenue streams but i think if a band like yourself with imagery and deeper than just like you know surface lyrics it's definitely an avenue you guys should pursue i'm finding that a lot of people who 
are coming into hardcore now are actually coming from bands like Black Dahlia Murder and stuff like that, which by the time those bands became prevalent, if I was I I fell back on the old, you know, like if Megadeth, obviously this year I'm bummed because Megadeth would have been 30 years of rust in peace, you know? Oh man, um, I know. And last and last summer was the first time Iron Maiden had played How Be That Name in many years. And yeah. that because they I did, did the tour. Yeah, I, I saw it. I saw it right after This Is Hardcore. And because they did the tour before that was an all record tour, it was great to see them with their, all their big fucking backdrops. And they played all the fucking hits. And I, I love I, it's I tell people like, yeah, I'll go see. I, I dude, I love Behemoth. I, I love a lot of I lot a lot of love I love a lot of metal, but when it really comes to I think some of the best presentations of metal, it's when you have giant backdrops and fucking flames and you're that's the, the best. It, it's and nothing and nothing is better than Iron Maiden in regards to that because they're you know they're the last one standing. So many sets you get with them, like so many backgrounds and you know everything from the Power Slave days to. You know, waste. Uh, you know, somewhere in time to like every, you know, number of the beast, every era of the band, you get to see in one show, and that's pretty awesome, man. And you know, kudos to 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 them and all our, you know, the bands from back then that are still going, man. Like Metallica is going to be forty years old. That's fucked up. Yeah, <laughs> it's fucked up. It's crazy. Um, I got to speak to Dave Mustaine the other day on uh. Uh, on you know some crazy shit like he did um a zoom call with um uh eddie trunk from sirius xm stop the trunk and they, yeah and they they allowed like 10 people on this call and i happened to win the opportunity and i got to ask him a question so like it's the second time i met dave in my life and i am glad he's still here i am glad that he is uh, recovering and, you know, and I hope that, you know, they can do a Rustin. I, I about was in 2010 when they did the Rustin piece 20th anniversary or something like that. Yeah, um, that was the tw- that was a 20. Yeah. And I went to that and that was one of the greatest things ever, man, just to see. And I had seen them in back in Clash of Titans tour, you know, like back when that album came out. Uh, but to see that uh, 10 years uh 20 years later was amazing. And I hope they do it one more time. I just got his book. I uh, got an autographed copy of that, the Rust in Peace book. And um, I'm excited to go through it. A friend of mine told me how great that book was. And that record stands is like, um, I was a Metallica fan first. I actually bought Metallica okay. comic books on the uh, New Jersey boardwalk. Was listening to Megadeth. I had gotten um, Killing and then Peace cells, and then when Rusted Peace came out, and the hang it was actually the hanger, uh, the hanger 18 video drop on Headbangers Ball. And I remember sitting there watching. I was a, um, my mom would work on Saturday nights. Our older cousin was a Dungeons and Dragons player, so he was allowed to have his friends over to watch me and my sister. Mind you, he's only like five or six years older than us, but they would let me stay up to watch Headbangers Ball. And that video just fucked me up. The same way uh, Slayer, um, when they did that live war ensemble video, fucked me up. And I actually, yeah, that was awesome. What I was getting to is like I feel like it has. I, obviously, Josta fronted 
Headbangers Ball. And uh, recently, I don't know if you checked out Code Orange, but they had Ricky Rackman involved in like a. I feel like somebody, not putting you into this, but I'm saying somebody from our generation with a hardcore background needs to do a YouTube channel that's more like they do shows like a Headbangers Ball. And I know with the DMCA or something, it's a pain in the ass, but I think that this generation, it would just be so fucking cool to have a video show again. Just have a video show again. Like, oh, this is a new video. Here's an old video. And I, I it's the one thing I think, and I, and I don't like watching TV. I'd rather do it on YouTube on my time when I can. Same thing, I like really enjoy podcasts because I catch it when I can. But like, I, I think if something like that would come out, I would support because it came from the Headbangers Ball generation. And um, I always love talking to someone that was into the bands that I was into because I can relate easier to, okay, we came up from the same kind of metal, you know? Oh, yeah, and there was no greater joy than sitting in your room on a Saturday night with your boys, um, just just take you know checking out the new bands, new premieres from the bands you love, um, and that yeah that was the greatest part of being a teenager, man. It's just like those Saturday nights with with the with the peeps, just looking at the videos, and it's a shame that MTV kind of did away with music altogether and yet still call themselves music television. Um, but um, those were the, those were the best times. And I wish there was a show now that can, can display new talents, can give birth to, you know, bands of today and help them out. And, and even bands of yesteryear, a, a good mix of both. I would kill for a show like that. I've definitely thought about hosting things. Um, you know, and you never know. I may, you know, step into that arena one day. Uh, but yeah, it would be awesome to have something like that. I just think that there's someone needs to do it, and I know that I'm not the guy because I, I, I am. I have a, I have a more myopic viewpoint. I have the shit I like. I have the shit I don't like. I can appreciate stuff, but I think someone with a bigger, more open, like open to do things could really examine it and talk it up. Right. Where I don't think I could, I don't think I could talk up what I don't really enjoy. And that's probably like my one failing. If I love it, I love it. If I don't love it, it's hard for me to even, you know, really explore it further, which is weird because I listen to a ton of basic, like Epic Dungeons and Dragons kind of fucking metal and a ton of folk metal and a ton of weird, not even metal. It's just like fucking flutes and goofy shit. Cause it it cracks me up. And it also blows my mind that this is what we're like. Uh, this is a this is a form of metal now, like, like almost like Ren Fair world. I, I, it blows my mind that it's a, and I and I crack up and I enjoy it. Um, yeah, man, everyone should be open. You know, that's how you discover great music just by having that, you know, that openness to it. I hope I hope on the nights in black that you guys have a really cool, epic fucking cover a name like that needs a real cover that's the one thing i hope that you guys do i want to have we need like the the most epic um i'm gonna wrap this up i don't want to be uh just jabbering on with you i really appreciate that you were honest and one of the things that i'm going to take from this is not only your sincerity but that your drive to stay current with yourself and i find that whether you're from New York, Philadelphia, California, specifically in a singer's role at times, people just don't want to let go of the mic. And for you, it was cool as you're kind of like, nah, I'm past this, but I want to try this now. 
And few people that I know have done that with the sincerity and with the drive and tried actual new stuff. You know, there wasn't much for myself of a leap between punishment to shadow Rome, but there is a difference between irate and Judas. And I'm excited to hear the difference between Knights of black. And I just appreciate you taking the time. And a lot of people who are fans are going to be excited just to hear you speak about um, irate. And um, it's just important that people in today's world hear from band members like yourself or the bands they find important because I want to make them understand like you're a real human being, you're a real hardcore person. And I think that in the, another thing I want to say is that it's good to hear you say like, Hey man, this is how we started. We gave out demo tapes because a lot of these young bands, their life isn't like that. They're putting posts on the internet and that's the end of the day. I love that. Yeah, they're, yeah. I love that they're hearing that their favorite bands had the hustle because now you may be able to impart on them. Hey, get out there in the streets and hustle. So thank you for alliterating that and showing them, Hey, look, we were hustling. Why can't you, man? I really appreciate that. I think no matter what generation, hard work is always going to do it. It's not going to come to you. It's not going to manifest itself. If you're not busting your ass, you don't want it. And if you don't want it, don't waste your time. You know, um, you know, at least for the bands that deserve to be out there that are working hard, you know, um, and there are some, you know, uh, and I'll give those bands all the credit in the world, but if you just want to like get into it and just just do it for fun, that's okay too. That's okay too. But just be upfront with yourself about it, and you know, give respect where it's due, and you'll get it back, man. Like I rate prided itself, and you know, just being cool with everyone and being open to everyone and playing any kind of bill, whether it would have been a, a punk rock show or an old school hardcore. Or, or a technical death metal. It didn't matter. Like, you know, we played shows with like Deicide back in the day. And, and you know, one of the greatest things or compliments ever was uh, Glenn Benton, the singer of the band, watched us. And he watched us because Irate had one of the most violent displays ever in the history of the band that night. Uh, because we bought all of, you know, Castle Heights with us. And then you had Deicide's fans and what a mix that was that night. And it was a lot of lot of bleeding. And he watches the chaos and he comes to me and he goes, I've never seen anything like this. And I fucking love it. You guys are great. You know, and he was really cool. Uh, the whole night to us, he, you know, we had shots with him downstairs and he was great. But like, you know, we, we were lucky to just have these, these kinds of reactions from the greatest fans in the world. And they're still with us. You know, a good percentage of those people are still with us. And we have a whole new generation that is keeping the band alive. So we thank all of them. We thank anyone that ever bought a record or came to a show or, or had a conversation with us, man. We, we took it all in and we appreciated it all. And we still do. And, and you know, that's what we're about, um, universal. We're about we're we're about one big big family, man. Always. No, that's awesome. I'm a huge fan of Legion, so I think if fucking he said anything to be, I'd psyched on it. I know Kevin had said in his interview that he you guys had got on the DSI show, and I think even that speaks volumes to who you guys are. That you would be open, even though you're playing these different shows, just to expand not only who you're playing for 
but that you're, you're open to that. And a lot of people need to understand that, especially now it's like, Oh, well, that's not really our crowd. Like, fuck you. This is DS side. I'm playing it. Yeah. And, and yeah, absolutely. You, you take every opportunity that you can get like EGH and Billy club and Swan enemy. They didn't sound anything like irate, but we worked together and we played together and we had the best shows together and we grew up together, you know, and, and that openness is, is kind of like what kept us all relevant even now, you know? Um, and, and I, I lucky to be a part of that nah man and we're lucky that you guys did that as a unit of bands because i think that the the thing that richie always says is high tides raise ships and i think that there was a point where be it billy club egh irate you were also telling people about bands like beneath the remains eye to eye denied there's all these uh, five minute major. There's all these other bands that also came up. One second thought, you know. Oh like, shit! Yeah, one like, second thought, dude. They were fucking yeah, great man. too. Like all those bands, and you know, branching out to the Brooklyn scene too, and, and Marauder and Candiria and Indecision and Shutdown, and Long Island, uh, you know, VOD and and um, Neck and Cipher. And, uh, you know, just everybody, everybody working together back then, just being friends, you know, um, I, we are fortunate, man. You know, I hope that this generation finds the level of closeness that we all had um, and the level of respect that we all have from each other. Um, I hope that keeps going into this generation because it's, it's a beautiful thing, man. It really is. No, and it's also a huge tenet of the community is to have fun and to support each other. And I, mm -hmm. I think that you guys are an example of it at its highest possibilities. Cause it wasn't, it was a safe scene because everybody knew the rules. You're going to show up. Shit was going to get violent. But mm -hmm. if you understood that you knew the rules, Hey, you had a blast. You made new you friends. Yeah. Dude, this, thank you for this one. Um, it means a lot to me. And I, I know I imagine a lot of times when people speak with you, they just only want to talk to our rate. For me, I got a lot out of just where you went and how you perceive this whole thing. I love that you got involved in horror. Now, unfortunately, the next time you come down, I'm going to have to go to one of these just to come and say hi, give you a big hug. You better. I'm going to hold this you is, to that, bro. This is a 1,000%. And this is, I've gone to a couple, and usually my friends are quite drunk. So it's like, come down. I've gone to like maybe two, maybe three ever. But if you're there, I'm coming down and we'll. we'll uh, I'm going to be there. I'm going to be there as sure as um, Gutter Christ, our boy Gutter Christ. Yeah. Um, he's always got a booth there and, and, you know, he sells his stuff and always good to see anyone in the hardcore community at those shows. And so I'm going to hold you to that. Um, you know, hopefully when this is hardcore, uh, gets live again and in person, I'll come out and have a good time. Uh, because, oh, and I want to thank you for the times that I did go down and you looked out always like family and treated me great. So thank you for that, Joe. And thank all of the people that work with you and, and, put these amazing shows together props to uh chris and tsunami and all those guys as well and um you know to cuz and and black and blue and on all the great guys over there too no nah, man it's just it's and, good that it's good to have people like you come and see what we're up to 
So you always know the lights are still on, man. Like people, people always want you around. And I'm always, you know, happy to be around and, and see my brothers play and be part of the festivities and, you know, just, you know, living, living this life to the fullest brother. And I'm glad to, to, that you're keeping uh, music strong and, and vibrant and, and amazing, man. So thank you for that, Joe. And thank you for having me on the show. I'll be happy to come back any other time and much love to you, brother. Seriously. Much love to you. Do you have any socials you want people to hit you up on? Do you have a, uh, any social for the new bands yet? So yes, uh, Knights of the Black is on Facebook and we are also on Instagram right now. You can follow me on Instagram at vibe six, six, six and on Facebook and also on um, Twitter, uh, Phil vibes uh, on Twitter or actually uh, vibes at 1134 on Twitter. So got all those things handled and uh, Knights of the Black will be coming to uh, a theater near you uh, hopefully soon. And um, look out for uh, a single uh, at the end of this month on Halloween. Oh, dude, that's fucking awesome. Dude, well, thank you. And we look forward to that. All right, man. Take care. Man, that was awesome to do. Phil is such a chill gentleman. So much excitement and just true reverence for hardcore metal that it was a pleasure to speak with him. You can go to Knights of the Black on YouTube or on Instagram. I don't know if they have Instagram, but I know they are on uh, YouTube and Facebook. They're Black Harvest dash the horror of Haddonfield lyric video is out and, and it's absolutely insane. We have it linked on our podcast episodes. If any of you haven't checked out the website because you go to Spotify or one of the podcatchers, if you go to tihcpodcast.com, we do a little webpage for every episode and with additional information for all our guests. This video, Knights of the Black, which is Phil's new project with his son and Nando from Irate, will be on there. Touching back to other things that we spoke on, very shortly, we'll have info for Patreon, still working out the kinks and what the uh, what we're going to be able to offer. Please continue to support everybody in hardcore who has these little projects, be it a podcast, be it um, uh, a new record coming out. I mean, right now, the people that are still producing things, and there's been so much quality stuff despite COVID holding us back for having shows. Just so many amazing things. I think I'm even going to try to do like an end of year list. Maybe even add it on a podcast like in the middle of the week somewhere. Because there's just so much cool shit. Pillars of Ivory, a new Mind Force song. I mean, the list goes on and on. But I just want to see people in hardcore getting the love and support that they deserve. For me, doing this podcast is a blessing. It, It just gets me to reconnect with old friends and talk about stuff that we love. And this episode absolutely was just that. And I got to tell you, next week episode is with Salem Vex of Bloodbather. For those of you who are going, who the fuck is he? Go to This Is Hardcore via Hate56 and look out for their Bloodbather video. This is some next level shit. Harkens back to so many different um, 90s and early 2000s hardcore and metal bands. But Salem is an actual artist and a creator and really a special person. And his story would 
resonate with so many of you, and I really hope that you check it out. That's next week's episode. Um, and I've got a few words from my friend Anthony Moreshi, and we're going to cut out of here till next week. Thank you so much for supporting. Uh, comment on the iTunes channel. Subscribe, follow, and share these posts when we put them up on social because I think the way that the algorithms work, that the more we post, the less people see it because they want us to pay for advertising, which right now we don't even have a budget to do that, so we're not going to. So when we post this up on Fridays, you can also do me a really big favor and just reshare and repost so more people can find out about this podcast. And I love, love, love comments, Instagram uh, messages, and I respond to all of you, so keep it coming. Every episode's been awesome, and I really appreciate when there's critical criticism to help this podcast get better. So... Thank you for speaking up. Thank you, everybody. And check out what my boy Ranch has to say. All right. I want to talk about Don't Stand in Line, which is this new docuseries brought to you by um, a longtime member of the Boston hardcore scene on Ranch 10 Yard Fight. And he is a award winning director, Anthony Moreshi. He's got a great docuseries coming out. It's on pre-sale right now. Uh, you can check it out at Codex, C-O-D-E-C projects on Instagram and I'm going to let him talk about it instead of me talking for a couple minutes. And uh, this is his baby, his project. He spoke to Chris Wren from Bridge Nine, who was episode one. He spoke to Sonny Singh, who was episode two. So uh, our podcast and his project have a lot of synergistic stuff. So, hey, man, take it away. Let us know what you got going on here. Yeah, man, definitely. I think, you know, like you said, there, there's a lot of similarities to what you're doing in, in, in this project. Because, you know, it's it's Chris Wren from obviously Bridge Nine Records and Sully's. Um, and then it's uh, Sonny from Hate Five Six, um, and then uh, it's Greg Walsh from Wolf Brigade, who's also you know big longtime hardcore guy, and uh, and then also um, the other dude is Steve Crandall from FBM Bike Company, who's always a big kind of like punk rock hardcore guy as well. So it, it was a just a a, a crossover between uh, BMX and, and hardcore and punk. And um, really, originally, I was trying to get like the, the thought I had behind the project was, um, well, I should back up. I mean, there's so many different reasons that I did this project. I, I'm just I can't even begin to explain how my mind works <laughs> with this. But um, I just know all these guys for years. I think Steve, I, I actually know the longest. I was just thinking about it, but I've known them all for 20 plus years. And they're just all guys that, that have all been um, hammering away and in one way or another been successful at what they're doing. You know, it's not just a measure of, you know, monetarily successful. They're just, they're, they're carving their own path and they're, and they're making, you know, for be- lack of better terms, just, you know, um, they're not following that traditional path. You know, so uh, to me, it was really interesting to see how it's basically that whole DIY ethos where, you know, people came from and how they're making their way in this world um, and just the similarities and like the, you know, successes, failures, their motivations. um, And, uh, yeah, I don't know if I'm explaining this correctly, but no, you're doing (laughs) doing really good. In fact, um. So a lot of what you're a lot of what you're doing is bringing like, I mean, obviously you've been directing and writing for a while now. And some of the projects that you have 
have really um, not only supported hardcore, but have also, you know, given a better look. And I got to say, there's a lot of hardcore projects that come out and look like ass and like the chip on the shoulder and stuff really came out spectacular. So from my viewpoint and from what I've been told about the project through Sunny is that, you know, you're putting like real level production into highlighting some of the best qualities of people that came from our world with this amazing work ethic and this DIY program that we were all kind of raised up on. And I think it's great that you're highlighting this and that because of the kind of um, prestige that you have and your professionalism with the, the video that you're actually going to kind of bring it out of like a crappy YouTube video into something more. And I think people are going to be excited to check this out. And I'm glad that more people in hardcore are creating these projects that are uh, giving people like this a pedestal and showing off the best of what our world has brought out, you know? Right. Right. And, and, you know, I hate to talk bad about anyone's projects. Um, so I'm not going to, but the guys <laughs> that I'm, let me do that. <laughs> but the guys, you know, the guys that I, that I'm highlighting here, I mean, they've all kind of done taking things to the next level in their own respects. I mean, what Sonny's done is amazing. I mean, uh, he's like a computer science genius and then adding the video aspect and all the documentation. I, I just can't even fathom how he, how he's been doing that, you know? Um, and I got to admit, like, a lot of the reason I did this, wanted to do this project was because I was just inspired by them. And I was, and I was curious. I wanted to know like, how the hell have you guys been doing this for, for so long? And, you know, what's the secret, you know? And I can't say that, that there's not necessarily, necessarily answers, but I think there's a, there's a perspective you can get off of this. Whereas if you're, if you're feeling stuck, um, maybe like you're living someone else's life. I think you might come away with this with a whole different attitude and perspective of how you might change your own, what you're doing, you know, and it's not, it may not be quick. It might, it might take a while, but like you can kind of, you can really control your own life. You know, and that's really one of the things I wanted to, to get across with this. No. And that's a lot of what I was trying to do also in this podcast. So I, I really, I really, when you hit me up and you were telling me, Hey, we have this pre-orders. I really wanted to get you on. And in a couple of weeks, we're going to have you actually on the podcast, but I want our listeners now to be able to take a full opportunity and pre-order for this and support your project. So run through um, how the pre-orders work and then how they can actually go ahead and purchase this. And then I really look forward to talking to you, not only about, you know, how you found hardcore and tenure fight, but also how you became what you're doing now and, and your whole vision. So I, I, I hate to keep it short, but I want to go really deep into this later with you. So tell everybody how they can uh, pre-order this and tell everybody, you know, how it's going to work. And then I, I, I really look forward to talking to you and everybody listening to your whole story. Right. Definitely. So uh, pre-orders are up now. You can get those at Kodak projects that's c-o-d-e-c projects.com um just trying to stay true to the, the whole diy attitude and and ethos there i it's i'm selling it directly through a site called gum road which i i've heard a lot of things about it's a little bit of an experiment but it's there it's a direct digital download so when you 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 order it um it's uh 12 for the 4k version 10 for the just regular hd version um, and 
there is a promo call uh, promo code, so you'll get 15% off if you put in uh, the code is pre-order 2020, uh, and yeah, it's going to be released on 1120. So if you go and order it now, you'll get an email on 1120 and uh, with the with the download links. So that's you know, awesome man. Uh, we're gonna get we're gonna connect soon. And we're going to have you on. So about a week or so after this is airs, we can come back. We can talk about it. And um, I know with some of the pre-order stuff that has been coming out on digital, I think it's great that it's direct download because people are looking for that with the Bane thing. I think there was a screw up. So it's good that you're using Gumroad. Um, again, support this. Don't stand in line. Brought to you by a longtime hardcore guy who is killing it in the video world, who is now highlighting some of the most creative and driven in individuals from our scene. Um, thank you so much. We'll be running this for a bit and I can't wait to talk to you longer. All right. Thank you, Joe. Really appreciate it.